Good morning, everybody. Welcome to another edition of the Bat Around here for Press Box in the Chesapeake Employers Insurance Studio. I'm your host, Paul Valley. Joining me as always is my extraordinarily talented co-host, Zach Goodman. Zach, how are you this morning? Pretty good, Paul. I'm uh, ready for spring, just like you now. Uh, yeah, <laughs> the, the cold's getting on my nerves. I got to be honest. I've been ready for spring since October. He's yeah. finally jumping on the bandwagon I, I, here. I, I have to be at this point in yeah. the year. I have to be. I, always mid February, I get to that point. So you know. Yeah, well, we, it's uh, 54 days until opening day. We have what is it? Uh, 11 days. 11 we, days. We have 10 days. Till 10 pitchers, days. Pitchers and catchers. 10 yep. days till pitchers and catchers report. 11 days uh, until their first workout. So. It's a uh, baseball is approaching. Baseball's right around the corner. I know we ha- we got like a foot of snow earlier in the week, but uh, that's going to be melting here soon. And before you know it, it's going to be sixty degrees, and we'll be watching some baseball. Whether or not it's in Camden Yards remains to be seen. Hopefully, at some point this year, we'll be allowed to get back into that stadium. But uh, Orioles, they're they're making our our lives easy here because they keep giving us stuff to talk about. Zach, we have um, lots to talk about. With the Orioles today, uh, Alex Cobb, $15 million contract, and it was basically, they're going to have to pay him. They're going to have to pay him, and he's going to be on this team in 2021. They can use a veteran, the veteran savvy in that rotation, and then all of a sudden, all of a sudden, he's traded to the Angels. He's traded to the Angels. They, they acquire uh, infielder, outfielder, Jemai Jones, who was the Angels' number seven prospect uh, for the Orioles. He's now the number 19 prospect. Some publications, other publications, number 16. Um, he was at one time the number one prospect in the Angels organization. Uh, the Orioles are also going to pay $10 million of Alex Cobb's salary uh, this season. So they're saving $5 million by trading him, but they're still paying him $10 million to not pitch for them. Um, what are your thoughts on this trade? First of all, the Orioles got something back. They didn't just trade him for a bag of balls and a minor league pitcher. They got somebody who's major league ready to play in their infield who might be the future, their future at second base. Yeah, this is one of the things I definitely didn't expect this week. I, you know, this is not a guy I ever really looked at as being a trade piece just because of that contract. I mean, it was such a heavy contract, $15 million for a guy who was maybe an average, league average pitcher, I would call him. And, you know, he had a good 60-game season, but he hadn't really been healthy for the Orioles in the past. So just not really a guy I ever viewed as a trade chip. And to get a guy like Jemai Jones, who's not someone you would call an elite prospect or a premier prospect, he's not really a top 100 prospect at this point. He was at one point, but he isn't anymore. He's something. He's a, a solid prospect that, like you said, goes in at number 19. And just, by the way, it goes to show how good the Orioles' farm system is. Yep. Drops, drops 12 rankings from the Angels. They do have one of the worst in the league, bottom five. But you know, to get a guy who can rank in your top 30 in the top 20, it's it's solid. Jemai Jones, you know, as far as a prospect profile goes, he's had a lot of swing changes. He has a lot of speed, and his defense is marginal. You know, it's it's getting a bit better. He's made the transfer from center field to second base, and that's where it seems like he'll play for the Orioles if he does make the opening day roster. But I think that more people were excited about not so much Jemai Jones, but just getting something at all for Alex Cobb. I think that's impressive, and I I think Mike Elias did a great job. Exactly. Somebody posted. Uh, on Twitter, on social media, that the Orioles fans are, are are super excited about Jemai Jones, and it's like he's it's not that big of a deal. And it's and I had to say to the person, it's not that that fans are excited that they got Jemai Jones. 
they're excited that Alex Cobb was traded and the Orioles got a valuable player exactly. in, in, in return. If the Orioles, if Jemai Jones was a free agent and the Orioles signed him off the free agent market, it would barely move the needle. It would barely right. move the needle. But because he's young, he's controllable, and they traded a guy who was making $15 million, a, a, a $15 million this year to pitch for a team that's not going to make the playoffs, it's, it's impressive that Michael Elias was able to, to get what he got for Alex Cobb. And the Orioles have found themselves a great trade partner with the Angels. Yeah. When, when you look at the Dylan Bundy trade last year, then Jose Iglesias, and now Alex Cobb, uh, it's kind of like when the Ravens were always trading with the Bears. A few years back, it just seemed like they were always making draft day trades with the Bears. So, uh, really good move there for the Orioles to get that contract off of their payroll with Alex Cobb and get somebody who could be a future piece for this rebuild moving forward. Uh, also, we all know that your team is only as good as its starting pitching. Uh, and with trading away Alex Cobb, the Orioles have a new hole in their starting rotation, and they went out and they re-signed Wade LeBlanc to a minor league deal. If He he was 1-0 with an 8.06 ERA and six starts for the Orioles in 2020 before he had a, uh, a left elbow strain that ended the season. Uh, he threw 14 pitches in August in the start against the, uh, against the Red Sox and then had to leave the game. Thomas Eshelman came in and took over for him and pitched really well in that game. Um, but LeBlanc left a lot to be desired last year, but the Orioles bringing him back on a minor league contract with an invite to spring training. He's going to make $700,000 if he makes the opening day roster if he's on the big league club. Uh, but they also signed King Felix. Felix Hernandez. Um, <coughs> a one-time great pitcher, 2010 Cy Young Award winner, um, when he only won 13 games by that microscopic ERA, that microscopic whip. Um, deserving, even though the wins weren't there that you usually see for a Cy Young Award winner. The thing with King Felix is he has seen his ERA balloon in each season after finishing second for the Cy Young in 2014. That year's ERA was was uh, 214. Then it went up to 353. Then up to 382. Then up to 436. Then 555. And then in 2019, his ERA was 640. Now he's had some injuries. He's had some injuries. He's also getting older. He's lost some serious velocity off of his fastball. And he has to learn how to... He has to do what, what Mike Mussina and CC Sabathia did at the end of their careers, where they were once hitting, popping the mid to upper 90s with their fastball. And we've seen them more so the mid 90s. But then they lost the velocity and they had to become finesse pitchers and they had to learn how to. They knew how to pitch, but they knew they had to learn how to really spot their, their pitches to make their, the loss of velocity more effective. Now, Hernandez last, last spring with the Braves, 1 and 1, 198 ERA and four starts in. You know, 13 two-thirds innings pitch. You're not really throwing six, seven innings in spring training till the end of spring training. But that was right when the shutdown happened. Those were his numbers. So he was having a nice bounce-back spring. First of all, Zach, what are your thoughts on Wade LeBlanc uh, being re-signed for the Orioles and then King Felix? Yeah, well, I'm not too big of a fan of the Wade LeBlanc signing. I mean, it was fine last year. I looked at it as a 60-game season, and it's not really a big deal. You can throw a guy out there to eat innings. The prospects probably weren't ready. But now you've got guys like Ballman, and you've got Lowther and Wells, and all of these other guys, and the Rule 5 picks as well, um, that could make starts in the place of a guy like Alex Cobb. But you go out and you sign Wade LeBlanc, who had... a 
8-plus ERA for you last year? That's kind of confusing to me. Of course, it's a minor league signing, and he'll have to pitch his way onto the team. Nothing's guaranteed in spring training, and the Orioles probably don't want to pay him the money that's going to be guaranteed if he does make that roster. They'd go with the cheaper option if they could. So... It doesn't really make a lot of sense to me. Wade LeBlanc's not very effective anymore, especially coming off a brand-new arm injury that we really don't know how that's affected him at all. I would hope that Chris Holt could make him a little bit better, but I, I just I can't bet on anything at, at this point in his career. He's an older player at this point in his career. Not too big of a fan of that one, but I am excited by King Felix. I'm not incredibly excited, but I am excited. And it's, it's an interesting move because the Orioles are bringing in a massive name. King Felix is... A guy who was once, like you said, one of the best pitchers in the league. He won a Cy Young. He's just not that guy anymore. But I remember he did start against the Orioles in spring training. I believe it was his first spring training start uh, with the Braves. And he made us look awful. He made the Orioles look completely awful. He was blowing them away on splitters and change-ups and all these really nice off-speed pitches instead of just overpowering them with the fastball. So that was impressive to me, and if he can do more of that, he can work with Chris Holt on the off-speed stuff, I think this can be a solid four or five guy for the Orioles. Yeah, it's it's certainly a a low-risk, high-reward signing. Uh, King Felix, he has that star power. He brings that that celebrity to the Baltimore Orioles. Uh, He'll make a million dollars. He's also minor league signing with an invite to spring training. If he's on the roster, he makes a million dollars. I would think he is more of the inside track than Wade LeBlanc, in just my opinion. I'm not sure Felix Hernandez would sign with the Orioles and think he's not going to make the roster. I would would doubt that. But you're right, it is a minor league signing. Yeah, and and the thing with, with Felix Hernandez, you don't bring him in. He doesn't sign here to play if, in AAA. If if he's if you're not expecting him to be in your in your opening day rotation, uh, Wade LeBlanc's a little bit of a different story. There's some familiarity there uh, from last year. Probably didn't have a ton of people knocking down his door. The Orioles are looking for depth. You know, you, especially you have all of your pitchers coming off of the 60 game season, so you're going to need to have a lot of pitching this year because people's arms aren't going to respond the way that they would if they just come off a full season. So you're going to need that depth. And if he's starting in Norfolk and he's and he's pitching well and then he can get provide you an option an opportunity maybe like in a double header you bring him up and he and he pitches well for you okay the Le- LeBlanc signing is more of a depth move the King Felix the Felix Hernandez signing that's they're planning on this guy being part of their rotation if he do, if he looks anything like he did last spring he's going to be on the opening in the opening day five man rotation um moving on a little bit more with Orioles news here Anthony Santander uh Lost his arbitration hearing with the Orioles yesterday, uh, so the Orioles will only have to pay him only have to pay him two point one million in twenty twenty one. He was asking for two point seven five million. Orioles under Peter Angelos, not to steal your thunder, Zach, are now twelve and two all time in arbitration hearings. Still, their only losses came in nineteen ninety five against Ben McDonald and twenty seventeen against Brad Brock. My question here: I kind of assumed that the Orioles would win. I, what I really assumed was that it wouldn't end up going to a hearing after all, and then it would end up being, they'd meet somewhere in the middle. But what happened is it went to an arbitration hearing. The Orioles won their, their case against him and have to pay him $375,000 less, which seems like jump change for Major League Baseball, but cost-cutting ties, cost-cutting everywhere. Uh, the Orioles only paying the $2.1 million. My main concern is the effect that these arbitration hearings have on the players. Uh, because... Look, they're not going to go in there, and they're not going to say to this to this panel, Anthony Santander sucks. We shouldn't give him this much money. But they're going to give reasons why you're not worth what you're asking for. And it seems like a heavy blow 
to a player over 375000 Yeah, that's kind of a small number. I Usually you see these, they're debating over a million dollars or something more substantial. And I know the Mets were debating with J.D. Davis over the same number, so I guess it's not that unprecedented, but... I don't love to see it. I don't know what's going through Santander's head. I think he wants to be an Oriole. I think he wants to play in Baltimore, but it just never looks good for the Orioles to have to go there and tell them, you know, why he's not good at certain things. It just it's it's not a good look. I wish they had settled with him like they settled with Trey Mancini. It just it's it's a much easier process. Arbitration as a whole, I think all of these hearings and stuff are, are just too much. I think it's all too much and they should have to be forced to come to an agreement before this, you know, I going to hearings, it's all just too much for me. But you know, it's 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 a bad look for sure, and I'm not sure Santander is going to be completely happy. But I do think he wants to be here in Baltimore. You know that feeling when your boss is like, "Hey, can I talk to you for a minute?" Yeah, and you're like, "Oh God, what did I do?" That's got to be the feeling that they ha- that these players have when they're going into these arbitration hearings. Like, "Oh God, what are they going to say?" What's like the anxiety, the nerves that come with that, and you you wonder what did the Orioles say. Well, uh, and especially on a rebuilding team that really no roster spots guaranteed right. on a rebuilding team like this. What, what if there's a spot guaranteed? He, he's he's up there amongst the few he that would have, the, that have their spot guaranteed. You're looking at him, Mancini, and Ryan Mountcastle have their spots guaranteed on this roster, and everybody else is is, is a bit of a question mark. Unless you're looking at uh, Freddie Galvis, nobody else is going to play shortstop every day for the Orioles other than Freddie Galvis this year, but. They go into these hearings, and, and what's their argument? He doesn't get on base a lot. He uh, he's missed the final month of the season each of his two full, two years in the big leagues because of injuries. So he he hasn't been able to stay healthy. But other than that, what what really argue, what argument? And hopefully that's all it was. And, and those are facts. Those are facts. Anthony Santander gets on base with a three fifteen clip. A power hitter who's in the middle of your order that needs to be better. Anthony Santander has missed September each of the last two years because of injuries. If he's going to be a star player and somebody that hits in the middle of your order, he needs to be able to stay healthy for an entire season and play and give you that production, especially when you get to a point where you're ready to contend and September is a stretch run and you're making that push to get into the playoffs. You need Anthony Santander in the lineup. So I can see those arguments. You just really would rather it not get to that point where you're telling a player why they're not worth what they think they're worth. That's that's not the ideal scenario. Now, somebody who is... Living out their ideal scenario right now is Trevor Bauer. He signed with the world champion Dodgers, I believe it's three years, $103 million. He has an opt-out after 2021 and 2022. And you texted me last night, Zach, about this. And the, the numbers, they're, they're eye-popping. He's making $40 million this year. And then $45 million next year. First of all, that dude is not opting out after no. this year. There is no way that Trevor Bauer is opting out from the Dodgers when he's going to get $45 million next year. That clause shouldn't even be in there. You, you would be nuts to, to leave $45 million on the table and a spot on the Dodgers. What, yeah. uh, unless the Yankees tell you this season, hey, we're not allowed to talk to you right now, but we just want to let you know, if you want $50 million next year, we're going to give it to you. But that's not going to... Who's paying somebody $50 million? At some point, we're probably going to see somebody make fifty million dollars in a year, and yeah. probably soon, probably but, in the next three years. You know, you and, and which is which is stupid. It's stupid money. Uh, and, and look, I get it. I get it. Like these guys, there are seven hundred and fifty. I guess seven hundred and sixty-eight players or whatever. I, I can't do the math in my head right now. I, I'm sorry, my brain's not there this morning. But there's a twenty-six man roster times times thirty. You get the picture. 
right? So there's over 750 players in Major League Baseball that, and, and, and that's it. The 750 best players in the world. Buck Walter used to say it all the time. These are the 750 best players that the world has to offer. So I get it. I, I'm not going to be one of those guys and be like, these professional athletes aren't worth the money that they get paid. I'll leave that to my father. My dad, my dad can do that. He can give his gripes about all the money and they're, how they're glorified. I get it. You do something that less than a half a percentage of the entire world population can do. You do something that that six and a half billion people, seven and a half billion people can't do. It's impressive. But $40 million? I think there's one player worth that, and I think it's Mike Trout. I think Mike Trout is worth the money because he is a, he is a game changer in every category of the game. I think he's worth that. Anybody else? Trevor Bauer? No. No. Trevor Bauer, let's let's not be. Trevor Bauer is a good pitcher. He is a he is he, a very good pitcher. He, he's a good pitcher. He just won the Cy Young Award. But but let's be real here. He had that one seven five ERA, whatever it was last year, in twelve starts. Right. It's it's, not, it's, it's sixty game truncated season. It's not like he did this in thirty five starts, thirty three starts, whatever the number is these days. He's at he's only had two seasons in his entire career with an ERA below four point uh, with an ERA below four point one eight. Only two seasons in his entire in his entire career, and he's getting forty million dollars this year and forty five million next year. Like, Max Scherzer, worth that. Okay, Justin Verlander, worth that. Garrett Cole, you can even make an argument that Garrett Cole is worth that. Trevor Bauer. Now look, if Trevor Bauer goes out there and throws two hundred and fifty innings and thirty three starts for the Dodgers, and he wins twenty one games and wins a Cy Young, his ERA is. 2.13, and they go on to win another World Series, okay, I will eat crow. I will eat crow if that happens. But you're telling me that a guy who had a sub-2 ERA in 12 starts is going to... You will rarely hear me say that people aren't worth the money because they do something that most of the world's population can't do. This isn't one of those cases. This $40 million is stupid money, and that's without even mentioning the fact that the Dodgers' payroll this year is going is already up over 230 it's up to 230 million dollars which i believe is 25 million past the luxury tax threshold it's usually around 215 to 18 somewhere in that area so yeah and then on top of that they still have to talk to Justin Turner and they still have, and they're going to re-sign him their payroll is going to be 245 million dollars this year i i did a sounding off on it a few weeks ago that they need to increase that luxury tax that that's ridiculous that's the, just too high it's 200 too high. and 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 they don't care they no. don't care because they just won a world. Wow, we got we we ran out of time really quick. I didn't realize how much time we spent on this. But they just won a World Series, and they're gonna pay they're gonna pay the thirty million dollar luxury tax to win another World Series. It's what they're gonna do. Now I'm gonna stop sounding off so that Zach can start sounding off. Uh, but before we get to that, just the rest of the show, I'm about to get Stan Charles on the line for our ten twenty segment. Bernie Miklas from five ninety, the fan of St. Louis at ten fifty. Uh, then we have Orioles banter at 11.20. Going to talk about how this roster is going to shape out. Uh, and then Josh Soroka from Section 336 Podcast 11.35 to talk about some exciting stuff that we're going to be doing. Zach and I are going to be taking part in that called Birdland Tonight, an Orioles postgame show that we're going to do since the Orioles and Masson aren't going to do it. Um, but before we get to all of that, Zach is going to sound off on the MLB Players Association rejecting the Major League Baseball proposal for a 154-game season. Yeah, so Paul just said it. You know, they, they rejected the offer from MLB, and it's an offer that 
made a little bit of sense. You know, the, the season would have started a month later. It would have been 154 games, and players still would have gotten full pay, which is pretty attractive to the Players Association, in my opinion. But, of course, immediately Tony Clark rejected it. And he is the obviously the president of the Players Association, uh, former player, and, you know, really makes the decisions for them. And this is just a continuation of the string of of decisions being made by both sides, by the Players Association, by Major League Baseball, that are, are they're just not able to agree on anything. None of these decisions, they're never able to agree on anything. They, they can't come together to make these agreements, and they, they're going to have to soon, because there's a new collective bargaining agreement that's due after the 2021 season, and there's been talk of a looming strike. We all know about that strike. It's it, it might be coming. You know, I don't know how long it will last, but it almost seems inevitable at this point because they can't agree on anything. The, the Players Association and Rob Manfred are so far apart on all of their issues. And this is just another example of that. They're going to have to start working together soon. I, I think it's going to have to happen. Some change has got to be made in management or something that, that makes these two work together because it's, it's, it's only good for the game of baseball. Another strike not only hurts the fans and the players, but these teams are already struggling to pay. They don't have cash flow in the first place. You put them out of work for another five months, some of these teams could go under. The Orioles don't have a lot of money. The Athletics, these smaller market teams, they don't have a lot of money. So it's just very hard on both the fans, the players, and the teams to, to have a strike. So the Players Association and the MLB, they got to come together and start striking up some deals before this uh, before the CBA, for sure. A strike would be a death blow. It, re- it really would. Uh, It'd be uh, even a, horrible. A strike, after you have the pandemic-shortened, truncated 2020 season, all these teams are hemorrhaging money, it seems like, except for the Dodgers, the rich just keep getting richer, and yeah. the Yankees. They, and you look at a, at a team that's in a big market like the Chicago Cubs, and they're cutting costs all over the place. They're trading away half of their high salaries, yeah. Right. It, it's, you can't have a strike. There's no Cal Ripken to save baseball from a strike this time around. There, there, there's, no, there's not going to be the, the home run chase like we had in 98. You don't have... Okay, you have Acuna Jr., who's a 40-40 guy, but you don't have a guy like Alex Rodriguez that's, that, that changed the game. Like, you have great players, but they're not enough at this point. You're going to alienate a fan base in Major League Baseball. And look, I get it. It is about the players. It is about the players. You want what's, what's, what's coming. The owners, you know, they just want to deepen their pockets. And I get it. But you have to stop thinking just about you and think about the fans. And without the fans, you don't have a job. And, 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 that's, and that's clear. Look at all the free agents that haven't signed because teams lost money because they didn't have fans in the stands last year. And now they can't afford to pay these players money that they, that they would normally be worth, $15, 20000000 Now you're getting $7.5 million. I really yeah. want to get Stan's take on this because I know he has an opinion on this. Stan, how are you this morning? I'm good, guys. How you doing? How you doing, Zach? Good. How are you, Stan? Good, good. Uh, guys, I've been around a lot longer than you on this planet. I'm, uh, you know, fast approaching the uh, big seven zero. So I've I've been through these, but but your alarm is 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 ringing true. Um, you know, this, this would be this would be. I'm very pessimistic about about the people that are in charge right now. Uh, Tony Clark. And Rob Manfred, I think that Rob Manfred really took Tony Clark to the to the cleaners five years ago or four years ago, and therefore Tony Clark has a great distrust for him. He got beat up pretty good uh, in the 
media and by um, his his union that they they gave away some things that they didn't have to give away. Um, it, it's a it's a bad mix the the mix of Manfred and Clark, and I'm not optimistic that these two men will come to some type of agreement. It really does seem, Stan, like a a strike is inevitable, and we remember. You remember the strike in what was nineteen eighty one? I remember every single one of them and how they affected how they affected me. I remember how the pandemic has affected me. It's a it's a really they're they're coming up on a tidal wave uh, type of situation, a tsunami that that's looming, and it's it is going to be devastating for the game of baseball. You know, look, let's be let's be perfectly honest. We're, we're going to get past this pandemic in, in the real world, not the world of sports. We're going to get past it. But the last thing that they need is having a situation in 2022 where very few fans were in the stands again in 2021. You know, people are going to have gotten out of the habit of going to baseball games. Yeah. You know, some, some, of, some of what attracts people to baseball games is the fact that the kids love to go to a baseball game. They're used to going to a baseball game. So the parents go to a baseball game. You know, that's going to be lost. It, it really is. Uh, and it's going to be hard enough as it is to start attracting fans en masse to come back out to where teams draw 2 million fans to, you know, for a season or, or even 3 million in certain markets. You know, I mean, I, I'm not a doomsayer. That says it'll never happen, but I think that 21 is going to be extremely tough again on fans getting to baseball games and getting into the ballparks. And I think that 22 is really pivotal. Uh, you know, I wrote my column this uh, for for the uh, print edition coming out on how they're going to how teams are going to amp up their innings. You know, from the Orioles last year through 518 innings. Chances are they're going to need to throw fifteen hundred, fourteen fifty to fifteen hundred innings this year. Yeah. Where are they going to get those innings pitched? It's sort of the same way how fans are going to have to be ramped up to be trusting to come out the ball games again and fall in love with being at the park because it's been a piece of cake to sit in front of your screen and watch, you know, watch your TV. So uh, these these issues that they have right now are. Very, very, um, you know, they're, they're very tricky issues right now. And, well, and as, as Zach said, there's just like no trust on either side. I mean, it seems like it seems like the simplest thing in the world for the commissioner to have thrown out. Now, I will agree. I don't understand why he didn't throw this out in December or early January. It does come across like a tactic right now that it was just in late January, early February, that he threw the 154-game proposal in return, you know, and pay 162 games, play 154, give us the universal DH, give us the expanded playoffs, and and give us a delay of the spring training of 30 days and the season 30 days. I, I can't quite understand what the players are losing by that, you know. Uh, but yet they they are distrustful because it came across as a tactic and uh, not a not a sincere negotiation, you know. 
Yeah, it's- Rob Manfred, when he was wasn't the commissioner, he had a tremendous relationship with Michael Weiner, who passed away from brain cancer about five years ago, mm-hmm. and those two really kept the game of baseball uh, alive. And there's no such relationship right now between Manfred or any of his lieutenants and Tony Clark or anybody in that players association. Yeah, and Stan, do you feel that Major League Baseball kind of dug this hole for themselves because they've kind of failed over the past really 10, 20 years to, to market their players at all? They don't do very well on social media compared to some of the the, the leagues like the NFL, especially the way they market Pat, uh, Patrick Mahomes, Lamar Jackson, just isn't the same way that MLB is able to market their players. And I, I feel they've kind of dug themselves a hole there. I'm not sure what you think, but it, it just seems, well, it seems I, like that's part of they- it. I think uh, I mean I, I I think it's very obvious that they haven't done as good a job as the other major sports in in promoting their players. There's no question about it. But keep in mind, part of that is because for the last 35, 40 years, there's been a lot of labor unrest during the time you would have gotten into that. Now there hasn't been labor unrest for about close to twenty twenty some years. Uh, they've been they've been on pretty good relationship until until Rob Manfred really took them to the cleaners uh, five five years ago. The whole thing to me just seems very short sighted. I don't think that I mean you would imagine that they have to know. Rob Manfred has to know, and Tony Clark has to know the impact that this is going to have on the game if they can't come to some kind of agreement, uh, especially when you have people who have lost their jobs and they're lo- losing their 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 living. Uh, because of this pandemic, and then they're going to see billionaires and millionaires arguing over money. It, it's a bad look. It's, it's a very bad look. There's no question about it. You know, uh, you know, Alex Rodriguez when he when he al- announced he was trying to buy the Mets, he threw out a proposal that, uh, and he's the only the only ex player I've heard say that that he, that he says baseball does need a salary cap. And the players ought to agree to a salary cap, but in return for that salary cap, explore ways that management and the union can create new revenues that they would split, you know, that the players would have a real stake in, you know. Um, and there's always new revenue streams that come along, you know. I mean, in the old days, it was in the old days, it was things like, you know, T-shirts and and uh, hats and jerseys, that money went into a pool that pays a lot of coaches extra money and players extra money, you know. So there's always going to be new revenue streams, and I think they'd be more well-advised to to come up with some type of system that is equitable for the players and the owners in terms of the percentage that goes into a salary cap of percentage of revenues, and then say, but on all this other revenue that we come up with, you know, electronic games and so on and so forth, that will be a very, very generous split with players. Uh, but they don't do that. You know, they don't. They really are short-sighted. Well, and, and speaking of the need for a salary cap, you look at Trevor Bauer, who just signed with the Dodgers yesterday. Yep. Three yep. years, 100. Stan, he's making $40 million this year. And he's making yep. forty-five million next year. The Dodgers are already at a two hundred and thirty million dollar payroll, which, <clears throat> according to the source that I saw, is already twenty-five million dollars above the luxury tax threshold. And that's before they even talk to Justin Turner. Is 
is this move? Are the Dodgers willing to pay that luxury tax because they know that Trevor Bauer is icing on the cake for another world championship? Well, I think they they do, and I think it was on your show that I predicted that it was going to boil down to last week that I predicted it was going to boil down to a two-team race, and uh, it was the Mets and the Dodgers vying for him. Look, um, at the end of the day, the money, actually the Mets were willing to pay him a little bit more money. The um, Dodgers dressed it up in a more sexy fashion that allowed him to, to, to beat his his ex teammate at USC, Garrett Cole, uh, in direct payments for the next two years, he will make more money than Garrett Cole, and that meant something to him. Um, but at the end of the day, I really think it's the real estate, the location that won the day for the Dodgers. And and let's not kid ourselves. All that the Padres did, picking up Hugh Darvish, trading for Blake Snell, um, all the other moves they've made, you know. They, they were creeping closer to being as good as the Dodgers, and I think the Dodgers made a very smart calculation here that they can't totally trust that Clayton Kershaw is going to give them 15, 16 wins and a 2.3 ERA. You know, that, that at some point that genie's going to be out of the bottle, and I think they made a very smart move here that creates a little separation between them and the um, and the Padres. Stan, I'd like to know where you stand on Trevor Bauer, because I know Paul and I don't think he's the ace of, of most staff. He's a very good pitcher. He just won Cy Young, but he really hasn't proven that he can have this you know, close to two ERA every year. He's, his career ERA is about 3.9, so it's quite a bit higher, and he's had some so-so years here and there and just really broke out in 2020, but do you feel that he's the, the real ace, and especially what the Dodgers needed right now? Uh, I think he's the. I, I, I'm not going to sit here and tell you he will pitch definitely better than Walker Bueller, um, but I think he's he's the distance maker. He creates some distance. I think they needed to make a uh, a move that had a big, a uh, you know ha- had had a lot of strength behind it. And I got to tell you, I still think the Dodgers their bullpen. Is not what it needs to be to uh, to compete for a championship, and I'm surprised they haven't addressed that. You know, they're going to go back with Kenley Jansen, who's a year older. There's going to be another tick off his fastball. Blake Trinan isn't what he was. Um, Bruce Dark Gratterall is is a potential phenomenal late inning option, but I don't think he's there yet to take over just yet. So I think the Dodgers have made a mistake. In the calculus, I think they should have tried to pick up Kirby Yates uh, or one of these guys that was available. Well, well I, I play fantasy baseball. I have Liam Hendricks for a dollar. I was scared to death he was going to sign with the Dodgers, but he didn't. He signed in the American League, so I've got him at a dollar. Well, like you said, they they calculated this whole thing out with Trevor Bauer. Maybe they took the relievers into account there, and they just said to themselves, Trevor Bauer is worth it. And then when you look at the fact that they have Tony Gonsolin and uh, Julio Urias uh, uh, and Dustin May uh, that yeah. can, can pitch in their bullpen in long relief and bridge that, that gap into the later innings, I think that it was a, it was a calculated response. Now yeah, it was a calculated response, and they waited uh, patiently, you know, and 
I think they were a, a little also afraid of the Steve Cohn-led Mets. Yeah. You know, Steve Cohn is a, a billionaire 10, 15 times over. I mean, he's not Jeff Bezos, but he's probably worth 20 to $30 billion, this guy. And he's going to put money in it where the Wilpons, who got burned very badly by Bernie Madoff about 14 years ago, uh, and have never really risen back to, to being that prominent in the game. Uh, in terms of their expenditures, um, I mean it's really a joke that New York for a New York team was like in the lower half of uh, compensation, you know, for the last fifteen yeah. years. Uh, he, he was so he's putting money into that team, and I think they were a little nervous that we're going to let if we let him go to the Mets, they've got Degrom and him, you know, that there was going to be another super team. But uh, and they also part of their calculus was seeing that the uh, Cardinals picked up Arenado, and they had to do something. They, you can't you can't sort of stay the same and tread water financially. You're going to have to always pick up players. I I agree with you. Now speaking of of the Mets, uh, Stan, it was it was talked about as soon as Cohen bought the Mets. Oh, they're going to spend money. He's going to spend money. And yeah, they made that big trade for Francisco Lindor. But all yep. the all they've done otherwise is sign James McCann to be their to be their catcher. They missed out on George Springer. They missed out on Trevor Bauer. They haven't really done anything else to address to address their rotation other than the qualifying offer to Marcus Stroman. Mm-hmm. Uh, are, are you surprised at the lack of activity? And I and I get it that that Lindor is is a generational talent. I get that. But are you surprised that that's really the only big splash they've made this offseason? Um, no, because I, I, I've known Sandy Alderson a long time. A friend of mine, one of my best friends, used to be director of broadcasting with the Oakland A's. So I, I got to, because of that relationship, I got to talk to Sandy over the years. I'm not saying we're friends or anything, but he's a very sharp guy. Um, but, um, you know. It, it looks like Sandy Alderson, as sharp as he is, he, he missed out in the vetting of two people, his uh, general manager, Jared Porter, who got fired, and now Mickey Calloway. Um, I guarantee you those stories of uh, sexual harassment by oh, Mickey man. Calloway are going to probably do in Mickey Calloway as the Angels pitching coach, which is too bad because he's a very good pitching coach. But, you know, Sandy Alderson at one time hired him as his manager, in New York with the Mets, and uh, he's missed on two people. That's a, that's a that's kind of an embarrassing loss, you know. Yeah, it's um, what, what, Zach and I'll probably get into the whole Mickey Callaway thing later on in the show, but uh, it, it's. I think you're going to see, um, and I, and I don't want to steal your thunder. I just think you're going to see a lot of women now coming out. You know, it just seems like that's what happens in the Me Too movement is you get women that become empowered by other women stepping forward. Uh, and let's face it, this behavior has taken place in every workplace for, you know, 50, 75 years. Oh, absolutely. Uh, it's not that surprising that it's rearing its ugly head. It's just some of these people that are that are involved in it, you just wouldn't think of them as guys who would do that, you know. Yeah, it's... um. It's it's been pretty rampant and it's starting to come to light and it, it's it's unacceptable and it's yeah, a shame it that, really we, that we we've yeah. known it's been going on and we know, and we haven't said anything about it and, yeah. and now because of social media we are talking about it and at least it's giving us at least we're talking about it but it should have happened way way before now yeah. 
before yeah. before we get off topic here, now we were just talking about Trevor Bauer. The Dodgers got their Cy Young pitcher. They got him. And mm-hmm. the Orioles got their Cy Young pitcher. <laughs> they they yeah. signed Felix Hernandez. They also signed Wade LeBlanc, both to minor league deals. LeBlanc makes 700000 if he's on the Orioles opening day roster. Hernandez makes a million if he's on the opening day roster. Stan, you wrote about this not too long ago. Uh, and he was actually uh, uh, on your wish list each of the last two seasons for the Orioles. Yep. They finally yeah. got Felix Hernandez. What are your thoughts on this signing? Well, I'm, I'm you know, I'm mild look. I, I wish the Orioles could have been in the hunt for Trevor Bauer, you know, right. or, uh, you know, or, um, and, you know, even picking up in a trade, say, Lance Lynn or something like that. But the Orioles aren't in swimming in those waters right now. So you look at who is somebody that has an upside. And I felt that there was a chance that King Felix could come back last year. Atlanta ended up signing him to the exact same contract the Orioles gave him this year, which is a million dollars. You know, if he makes the team, he'll get a million dollars. If he doesn't, he can choose to go to to AAA or elect to be a free agent again. But if he doesn't pitch well enough to make the Orioles, what are the chances somebody else is going to give him a major league opportunity? Right. But, so, so having said that, I go back. I'm, guys, I'm old enough to remember the year 1993. It was second year Camden Yards was open. Mm-hmm. The Orioles picked up a then washed up Fernando Valenzuela, who hadn't pitched in the major leagues since the '91 season, um, and he pitched in Mexico in '92 and '93, the off season of '93. Uh, the Orioles brought him to camp. In February of 1993, his first three appearances. I just wrote this last night in a note in my column that'll be in the in the paper that comes out. Fernando Valenzuela at the end of at the end of April had appeared in three games for the Orioles, one shutout inning of relief, and then two starts of like two and a third and three and four innings, and his earned run average was 11 11 05. Batting average against was 344, and people thought the Orioles were about as crazy for signing Valenzuela as today's fans might think they are taking a shot with King Felix. Well, Fernando had something left. His next 16 starts, and at the end of the year, the numbers were not there that were that impressive. His earned run average for the season was over five, and he only pitched that one year for the Orioles. Then he tried with Philadelphia, and he tried with a couple other teams. Uh, but but for for a small sample, 16 starts, that's May 1st to July 23rd. Fernando Valenzuela threw 111 and a third innings, 2.83 ERA, whip of 1.5 over those 111 and third innings. He allowed just 84 hits, gave up just seven home runs, Opponents batted 216 against him, and he had a BABAIP, which is, you know, batting average balls in play of 228. Um, if the Orioles could get 15 or 16 starts from Felix Hernandez this year in a season where they're desperately going to need innings to come from all over the place, because pitchers like John Means are not going from 44 innings in 2020 to. 190 or 220 innings. Dean Kramer is not going to give the team right. 170 innings. So they're going to have to pick up some innings. And I think King Felix 
if he does something any remotely close to this, look, that's 27 years ago. The 2-8-3 ERA could be a 3-8-3 ERA today, and a team like the Yankees down the stretch would give you something for him, you know, if he's yeah. pitching that well. And the reason I think he's capable of it, guys, isn't based on what I saw in 2017, 18, or 19 in Seattle. It's because I think he's still young enough at 35 to kind of learn the art of pitching. I don't think King Felix ever had to rely on his smarts because he had the 98, 99-mile-an-hour fastball and a pretty damn good curveball, but it was the power pitcher that he is that he's not anymore. And if he really focuses on this and maybe develops a special relationship with Chris Holt, I think the Orioles might have something here. Yeah, Stan, that's a great synopsis of the of the Felix Hernandez signing, and that's the best that the Orioles can hope for. Is he come in, comes in, he pitches well enough to be a trade chip in July, like versus, like Fernando Valenzuela did uh, in yep. those fifteen and sixteen starts from May to July, and that's really all the Orioles can hope for. And then you trade him, and then you have room to bring up a Michael Bauman or a Zach Lowther, just like Look, Tommy Malone. There, there, there's also the p- potential that he develops a special relationship with Chris Holt. And and maybe you do, uh, and I'm not predicting. This guy's made 230. I think he's made 230, 240 million dollars. He wants to pitch because he loves the game of baseball and he loves the competition. You, you never know when a relationship develops. Maybe he ta- maybe he ends up being here for three seasons. You know, maybe the Orioles next year say, "Hey, we're closer than we thought we were." He could be a difference maker, and they give him four million dollars. You know. It's not like anybody's going to give King Felix $10, 10 $12 million next year if he pitches to, at the level I'm talking about. Right. But maybe the Orioles could keep him around. I think the scenario of trading him is certainly much more probable. But I think he's sort of like a lottery ticket, and maybe the Orioles can cash in on it. Certainly more exciting than the LeBlanc and Malone signings of last yes. week. It's certainly yes. more I mean, exciting. there's a little bit of an upside. There's a, there's a mentorship that he could uh, take on, you know, with some of the younger pitchers. But it just it's a it's an interesting name. It's exciting, you know. Last spring, by the way, he pitched very well for Atlanta over 14 innings. I think his ERA was like one nine one nine eight ball. one nine yeah. eight. Yeah, and he was going to make the team. He would have been their fifth starter. Nobody knows how he how he would have pitched for the season, but he ended up opting out when the pandemic shut down baseball. Now, Stan, we've run out of time, but I do have one last question that we want to get to quickly with you, and I just want to get your thoughts on the Orioles' trade of Alex Cobb for Jemai Jones. A, what you think of the player Jemai Jones, and what you think of the Orioles being willing to eat $10 million of Cobb's salary to get a little bit of of relief? Well, they got got the relief they're going to get is I was really quite surprised that they gave up $10 million in the deal. But but the risk of waiting till Cobb pitched well enough to be a worthy trade chip in June or July was a little too risky because Alex Cobb, let's face it, it's a shame the way this contract worked out, but he's a a risk that he was going to be able to really do much this year. It's a fresh start for him, albeit with Mickey Callaway, and maybe Mickey Callaway won't be his his pitching coach. But uh, uh, the player they got back, is an interesting player, Jumai Jones. Um, you know, his family is from the uh, D.C. area, 
Uh, his family played uh, ball at DeMatha, and he's got a couple brothers that played professional football. Uh, tremendous athlete. The, the hitting tool isn't probably what you'd like, but he's an interesting guy, you know. And uh, uh, it's sad how Alex Cobb's you know, Orioles uh, chapter of his career went. It's very sad. Well, I'm certainly pulling for him to have a nice bounce back um, and career resurgence with the Angels. Seems like a hell of a guy, great player, great teammate, um, and really good clubhouse presence. Yeah, re- real quick, the last thing, the only one of the reasons I'm so sad, sorry they gave up that much money is I thought that they might take the savings they got, uh, which was is now only $5 million, but I was hoping they would go out and get my guy Colin McHugh, who I think really could be a an interesting guy to pick up. And Michael Elias says he still wants to pick up a uh, major league pitcher and Lord knows they're going to need him. Because again, they got to pick up, they got to pitch 800 more innings this year than they did last year. Well, and I I will tell you, Stan, that, you know, McHugh last year, he signed for like 600,000 with the Red Sox and then he didn't pitch at all because of the, because of the pandemic. So he could still be had for that number. I'm also looking at Matt Shoemaker who hasn't been yeah, healthy. Matt since... Shoemaker is a very interesting name too. I yeah, saw that. I, I'm all in there's on 20, There's 25 pitchers that are still reasonable out there. And I think the difference is Shoemaker can probably get two, 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 five somewhere. And I think McHugh might get that number and the Orioles aren't going to go that high. But I, McHugh would be my number one. Matt Shoemaker would be my number two. Yeah, and I, I what would, the Orioles do have is opportunity. They can say to those guys, "Hey, you're going to pitch." I know you're running late, so go ahead, guys. All right, Stan. Thanks for joining the program. Always, Always love a pleasure. Talking baseball with you guys. Absolutely. We'll talk to you next week. Have a good one. Okay. Thanks, Stan. Bye. That was Stan the fan, Charles, uh, joining us. We ran a little long with Stan, but. Uh, we tend to do that with him because we always have so much to talk about, and today especially we had a ton to talk about. I just want to remind you, you can get your uh, Stan the Fan fix. Uh, he has two great shows for you every week, and like everything else in the world, they're happening over Zoom. Every Monday night, Stan and former Orioles pitcher Ross Grimsley visit with a different guest from the world of baseball, and every Wednesday night, Stan and Gary Stein chat with a different newsmaker from the world of sports. This week, Stan and Ross caught up with MLB.com Orioles beat writer Joe Trezza, while Stan and guest Glenn Clark celebrate the life of local baseball writer and personality man Mel Antonin, and I want wanted to ask Stan about Mel Antonin, who just passed after a year-long battle um, with a serious health issue uh, early or last week. Really sad loss uh, for the for Masson and for the baseball world as a whole. Uh, and I didn't get a chance to ask him about that, so I'm really sorry I didn't get to do that. Um, uh, by hosting a roundtable of folks who know him best. Um, let me start that over. While Stan and guest Glenn Clark celebrate the life of local baseball writer and personality Mel Antonin by hosting a roundtable of folks who knew him best, including Peter Schmuck, Bob Nightingale, Rob Long, Dave Johnson, and Dan Connolly. Both of those shows can be found under the videos tab at facebook.com slash pressboxsports. Coming up this Monday night at 8, Stan and Ross will chat with father, son, former Orioles pitchers Dave and Steve Johnson. Join them on Facebook Live or find the show the next day at PressBoxOnline.com. Stan's weekly shows are brought to you by C3 American Exteriors. Find them at C3America.com and call C3 American Exteriors to get roof and siding repairs for the cost of your home insurance deductible. Don't let the insurance industry get one over on you. Call C3 at 410-401-9797 or go to C3America.com for a free analysis. When we get back from the break, we're going to have Baltimore native and current... 590 The Fan Sports Talk Radio host in St. Louis, 
Bernie Miklas. Try the winter seasonal menu at Glory Days Grill. Delicious chicken parmesan, house-made meatloaf, impossible cheesesteak, or their popular winter spinach salad. All available for dine-in or takeout. And don't forget a growler of your favorite draft beer. Order now at glorydaysgrill.com. Hey, Dad, can we try one of those hoagie things? <sighs> Sorry, son. We aren't hoagie people. What do you mean? Son... We're Royal Farms sub-people, like my daddy was, and his daddy before him, like you and me, and all the folks we know. Gee, Dad, I never thought about it like that. So you're saying hoagie people are... Aliens, son. They're aliens. <laughs> Royal Farm subs are Baltimore's best. Real fresh, real fast, Royal Farms. C3 American Exteriors is the area's best and most trusted roof and siding specialists. C3 is also an insurance adjuster's worst nightmare and a homeowner's dream come true. With all of the bad weather, chances are you have some roof and siding damage. Call C3 American Exteriors now to get your roof and siding repairs for the cost of your deductible. Don't let the insurance industry get one over on you. C3 guarantees a 48-hour rapid response. Call 401 or go to c3america.com for a free analysis. If it's happening in Baltimore sports and beyond, it's happening on Glenn Clark Radio. New Ravens linebacker Patrick Queen. Appreciate so. Trey Mancini. Thanks for having me on, guys. Glad to be back on. Ravens linebacker Matt Judon. Appreciate y'all. How y'all doing? Ravens kicker Justin Tucker. Thanks for having me. Adley Rutschman. Absolutely. Thanks for having me on. Coach Mark Turgeon. How you guys doing? Heston Kerstad. Thanks for having me. Joe Burrow. Thanks so much. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. Marlon Humphrey. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Coach Mike Loxley. Thanks for having me on. He is J.K. Dobbins. Thank you for having me. I had a great time. The great Ray Lewis. Always good to be on. Dickie V. Dick Vi- Glenn and Kyle, two diaper dandy. What's up, fellas? Hey, what's going on, Ed? Glenn and Kyle are live Monday through Friday, 10 a.m. to noon, and archived anytime. Watch Facebook.com slash PressBoxSports and listen to PressBoxOnline.com slash radio. For more than 40 years, K&S Automotive has been repairing, restoring, and maintaining foreign and domestic vehicles with a focus on exceptional workmanship and customer service. Everything from oil changes to major body work. Call K&S now at 410-235-6600 or go to knsimports.com. That's K&S at knsimports.com. The latest edition of Press Box is available now, and it's our very special annual best of issue. On the cover, we recognize our Mo Gabba Sports Person of the Year, Trey Mancini, whose courageous fight against colon cancer and dedication to the community inspired us this year. We also recognize other Baltimore sports fighters, the current and former local athletes and coaches who have taken active roles in the fight against COVID-19 and for social justice. Press Box is available for free at over 500 area locations, including 60 Royal Farm stores. And you can always find the entire edition, as well as the best daily coverage of the Orioles, Ravens, and Terps at PressBoxOnline.com. All right, welcome back to the Batter Round, coming to you from the Chesapeake Employers Insurance Studio. Once again, I'm your host, Paul Valley, joined with me as always by my co-host, Zach Goodman. And on the line right now, we have 
Uh, Baltimore native. He used to write for the Baltimore, uh, I believe it was the Baltimore News American. Uh, and he is now a sports talk radio host on 590 The Fan in St. Louis. We have Bernie Miklas. Bernie, how are you today? Paul, good. Good to be with you. And uh, Zach, hello to you too, sir. How you doing? Good, uh, uh, Bernie, we're gonna we're gonna dive right in here. Uh, Cardinals they traded for all world third baseman Nolan Arenado. How much better does Nolan Arenado make the Cardinals by joining their team? Number one, they already had a strong defense, but I think if you uh, if you factor in the young outfielders are going to be playing this year, you know all, all three of them are exceptional defensively. And they already have Paul Goldschmidt at first. They got Molino, who will resign here behind the plate. Uh, De Young is a very much a plus shortstop. Second baseman is a plus defender. They're going to have one of the best defenses uh, I've ever seen. And, and I know that that sounds like hyperbole, but if you just go around the horn, you can you can just see all of the quality there. So that'll make their pitching staff stronger because this is clearly the best third baseman in the game defensively. And, uh, you know, he's won eight gold gloves in, in all eight seasons that he's played. And on top of that, even though, you know, no one's going to put up course field numbers, but he's always hit great in this ballpark. And he's a line drive hitter, um, uh, fly ball hitter, and will absolutely make the offense better. I don't know that the offense will be good enough, though, even with his addition. And that's a big question. I mean, are they still going to have a middle-of-the-pack Type offense. Actually, they were worse than that last year. But will will he be able to significantly make it better? That's a that's a big ask there. So the young outfielders have to come through. But they're they're a better team. There's no doubt about it. And there's some excitement too. That he gives them some flair, gives them some magnetism. And, you know, he is a just a great player. So. Needless to say, great baseball town like this, people are pretty fired up. Well, yeah, and you mentioned that they you're not sure how the how the offense is going to hold up, and now you don't really have a spot for Matt Carpenter, who's got 30 homer hopping his popping his bat. If, even if the average does kind of you know tank because of that, what do they do with Matt Carpenter? Well, and I'm assuming let's just for the for the conversation assume that there's not going to be a DH in the National League. Right. I mean that could change if the players and the owners have to ne- quickly negotiate something. I don't. Who knows, right? But he, you know, Carpenter. The thing about him is he can pl- he can move around a little bit. He can play second base. Uh, it's not a strength, but he can be used there. And if they put Tommy Edmond in the outfield at times, that's one way to put uh, Carpenter in the lineup. He can also back up at first base and third base. Although those two guys. Goldschmidt and Arenado like to play, so I mean it's not like they're going to be off very often. Right. So that's a de- definite a question. Now, he, uh, you know, he had a, he wasn't. Re- I'm talking about Carper. He wasn't very good by his standards in 2019, and last year was kind of a write off for him and others. But I know the Cardinals haven't ruled out the idea of him making a bounce back season. You know, to get closer to where he was. So we'll see. His bat slowed down some, but. He's got a lot of pride in his hitting. Uh, it's just a matter of getting him enough at bats, as you pointed out. If there's no DH this year, well, and then you also mentioned that he could play a little bit of second base. Right now, it seems Tommy Edmond has the inside track to replace Colton Wong at second base. Now he had a great rookie year. He had 35 extra base hits, 15 to 16 in stolen bases in just 92 games, hit over 300. 
But then in 2020, he took a step back. He just had 13 extra base hits in 55 games. He got caught uh, stealing four times out of six attempts. And the average dropped to 250, OBP down to 317. What are they looking for from Tommy Edmond? Can he come in and fill the, fill the void left by Colton Wong? Uh, he can, but that's the point um, to to re- to underline your point. He he was way above average hitter as a rookie, and he was about average last year. Um, however, he hits the ball hard. He might have run into some bad luck. Um, I do think right. He's a switch hitter. I do think you know right-handed pitching uh, started to eat him up a little bit. So he's going to prove. He's going to have to prove that he can hit right-handers the way he did as a rookie. But, look, he runs very well. He's he's really good defensively. You know, ironically, if that's the word, if he has to play second base most of the time, in, in some ways it, it weakens the team because he's so valuable. Here's a, here's a guy that is a rookie, you know, played third base, second base. He played in, right well, all three outfield positions if he needed to use them there. And he probably could step in at shortstop now and then. So to have him as like a super utility player, which he was two years ago, is a real big asset for a team. So, but I, I do think he'll probably end up you know, playing most of, most of the time at second base. And he's really good there. He's not as good as Colton Wong, but if you go look at some of the metrics, you look at, look at defensive runs saved or whatever. I mean, he had a, he had a really nice number uh, you know, in 2019. So I want to circle back to the Arenado trade because that was huge for the Cardinals just a week ago. So it, what can you tell us about the prospects that got, that got sent to the Rockies? Because a lot of Rockies fans are not very happy about the return, and I see a lot of Cardinals fans were, were very happy about what the, the Cardinals sent over because it didn't seem like a huge haul. So what can you tell us about those guys? Well, you know, it's true. They, If you go by, you know, it depends on whether you use, you know, Baseball America or MLB pipeline or, you know, there's, there's obviously a, a lot of ways, a lot of places that independently evaluate prospects, but they didn't have to give up anybody who would be considered say a top seven or eight prospect. And, and the best prospect is a third baseman named Montero. And I think MLB pipeline, like when they moved him over to the Rockies uh, has him as Colorado's eighth best prospect. My point being, you know, obviously that, yeah, he's a nice prospect, but, you know, going over there and, you know, instead of being their third or fourth or second best prospect, you know, he enters at number eight. So that kind of tells you, you know, he's he's not top shelf, top shelf, but he's got a chance. I mean, he's got a chance to be really good. Uh, the Cardinals have plenty of third basemen in their system, including a guy named Nolan Gorman, who's, you know, like maybe a top 50 prospect in all of baseball, great power hitter. So they, they're they're obviously well stocked at third base, so they he was expendable. Montero, they gave up a young, you know, a young left-handed pitcher who's already been in the big leagues, throwing about a hundred innings. Austin Gomber. Now he did project to be part of the staff in St. Louis, uh, and I think that was a good get for Colorado. Although I don't know if his style of pitching would be particularly effective in that ballpark. You know, I don't I don't know that he's an extreme ground ball pitcher, but I like him. And there, you know, there was an infielder named uh, Maceo Gill that they that the Cardinals liked and gave up. There's a there's a pitcher, and I I apologize because his name he wasn't a guy prominent in terms of Double A AA or Triple A. He's just starting out. 
but one of their right-handed pitchers that went in that deal, you know, can throw 96-97. So there's a chance he could be something. I think with this list, there, there's really down the road we could see, you know, two or three of these guys actually emerge. But right now they're they're just the typical prospect. Uh, other than Gomber, the typical prospects making them themselves uh, matriculating, you know, closer to the major leagues, but they're still a ways off. So it's tough to tell right now which way they'll go. Well, the Cardinals they had some highly touted prospects in the in their outfield, namely Dylan Carlson, Tyler O'Neill. Uh, the one I want to talk about first though is Harrison Bader, and he had he had a promising 2018. Looked like he might be the real deal for them playing center field. But he's just a 234 career hitter, has had two really pretty bad back-to-back years uh, in 2019 and 2020. I know he's just 26 years old, but 27 in June. Is the clock running out on Harrison Bader? How do the Cardinals view him? Ideally, w- what they would like, and I'm going to use a Baltimore analogy here, I- ideally he would be Mark Belanger uh, yeah. in that if they can get enough offense, and they won't, They wouldn't care how Bader performs uh, offensively because he's such a tremendous center fielder. I mean, he hasn't won a Gold Glove, but he's he's Gold Glove caliber. Let's say. Now he's a bit of an enigma at the plate because he he crushes left-handed pitching, right? Mm-hmm. But he has been overpowered by right-handed pitching, and he strikes out a tremendous amount. He's got pop. He's, and he's also he's also uh, fast enough to where he can uh, beat out a lot of infield hits. He's got game. It's just the plate discipline when he faces right-handed pitchers, and they still think I got a cat hollering here. So no worries, man. Ha- hazards and radio. So let me multitask here. <laughs> so he, but he's still got a chance. But they don't really care if he is, um, you know, a guy who's a below-average hitter who who occasionally will. You know, uh, not occasionally, but who could hit 10 to 12 home runs. They don't really care uh, as long as he does what he does in center field. And so to me, he's an intriguing guy. But it's like when Earl Weaver managed, of course, you know, he could care less what Belanger hit. And when Yadier Molina was a young catcher here in St. Louis, he didn't hit at all his first couple of years. Tony LaRusso said, I don't care. I mean, he can go one for 50. He's staying in the lineup. So Bader's that kind of guy. Yeah. Now, Moving on to Dylan Carlson and Tyler O'Neill, these are guys who, in Carlson's case, he's a top 20, top 15 um, prospect in the game. Uh, he has a ton of power. Tyler O'Neill had a ton of power in the minor leagues. Both legitimate outfield prospects who had kind of down 2020s uh, in that truncated season. Is it a sign, though, of the Cardinals' confidence in both of these players that they were willing to tw- trade away Dexter Fowler to the to the Angels for basically nothing, ca- cash considerations or a player to be named later? They must really think highly of these two players. You know, I give them a lot of credit because it's not easy to walk away from a contract that didn't turn out all that great. Dexter Fowler did have a couple of good good turns for them. But overall, man, they spent $82.5 million on them for five years. And you know how teams can be stubborn about that. They're just going to ride with a guy to the end. But listen, they their belief is once and for all, we have to make determinations for the future. Uh, well, not on Carlson. Carlson's going to be a fixture here for a long time. Mm-hmm. But a guy like Tyler O'Neill, especially, they need to just play him. I mean, he's got 450 plate appearances in his career, but they're spread out over three seasons. In other words, he's never had a full run, not even close to it. And – 
they have to see if Bader, to, to what we were talking about a couple minutes ago, whether Bader can sort of get his act together offensively and become more consistent, especially against right-handed pitching. They have a guy named Lane Thomas they like a lot, too. And if you look now, it's a ridiculously small sample. But if you look at what he did two years ago, 2019, in very limited action, and also a couple of the power seasons he had in the mine, the high minors, he's another guy that they'd love to get a better read on whether he's someone that's going to be a future part of the team. But the only way to do this, there's no way you, they could have had given 350 to 500 plate appearances, let's say, to Dexter Fowler and installed Dylan Carlson in left field, but also have enough playing time for the other guys I mentioned. They had to clear Fowler out, so they were willing to eat uh, all but about a million and a half or a million seven of his uh, $14 million contract this year because they feel it was the goal is to find out about these outfielders. Listen, they got in this jam um, a couple years ago with Randy Rosarina, who came up after tr- just destroying everything at AAA, and they never really played him because it was a crowded outfield. Mm-hmm. And we saw what happened there, even though the Cardinals got a really terrific pitching prospect in return from Tampa Bay, Matthew Libitor, um you know, Randy Rosarina was the breakout star of the season in a lot of ways. I mean, you, you guys saw what, what the heck he did in the postseason. So this was an example of, like, they traded a guy that they never really gave an opportunity to, and they are damn determined not to repeat that error. I mean, they have to find out about these players. And so it's going to be an interesting ride because other than Bader, there's not a lot of experience there. But Hey, O'Neill won a gold glove last year. Bader can win a gold glove. And Carlson's phenomenal uh, in the outfield. And you can play him at all th- any of the three positions. So uh, there's a lot of talent in that outfield, but largely unproven offensively. Although I think um, there's, a, there's a strong confidence that, that Carlson's going to be a heck of a player, even if, uh, you know, it's not like he's not going to be Mike Trout next year, this coming season, but he's, He's got over time. He's going to be, I think, a really good outfielder, really good, uh, really good hitter as well. Switch hitter uh, for his young age. He's 21. He's got great plate discipline. That that won't show up in his stats from 20. But in the minors, they always threw him, Dylan Carlson, into the deep end. They always played him up in leagues above his age level because they they knew he could handle it from a plate a plate discipline standpoint, and he did. I mean, he's a really smart hitter with power. Yeah, certainly has a ton of power. Hit 26 home runs uh, in in the minors in 2019. Uh, Tyler O'Neill had a couple 30 homer seasons in the minors himself, and it would go a long way for the Cardinals if even two of these guys, between those two and Lane Thomas and Harrison Bader, can reach their potential. Because you mentioned that offense struggled a bit last year. Adding Arenado helps. They do need to find a spot in that lineup, I think, for Matt Carpenter. However, with all that being said, four teams out of the NL Central in 2020 made the playoffs. Uh, but you look at 2021, that's not going to be the same. The Cubs are clearly approaching another rebuild. The Brewers don't have much pitching. The Reds' offense hit like 212 last year, and they lost Trevor Bauer from their rotation, and the Pirates are the Pirates. So the division's pretty much there for the taking for the Cardinals, but after that, do they have enough pieces to make a deep run in the playoffs? Uh, That is the question. Now, look, I think Milwaukee's sneaky good. Uh, Not sneaky good as, say, like... uh, a, a team that isn't sneaky good, a team that's great, like the Dodgers, for example. Right. But I think Milwaukee's got a chance to be better than we think. 
because uh, a really resourceful front office with David Stearns. I mean, really, really, they, they do a great job of, of finding value uh, you know, out there in the market. And they just signed Colt Wong, who, who just uh, is, has been tremendous hitting in that particular ballpark during his career. Um, I, I think I don't know that the Cubs are like totally uh, full teardown because they still have some really good pieces, but they're they're pitching. It leaves a lot to be desired, you know. But they do have Brian and Rizzo and Baez and Contreras. I mean, it, yeah. it's, they signed Jock Peterson. So that, look, that's still that team still has got a lot of danger in the lineup. So they're 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 going to be problematic in a sense. They're not, they're not going to be an easy team to shove out of the way. I don't know what to make of the Reds. Uh, but on one hand, I think their offense, it was kind of an outlier. I think it will be better this year. I don't know about um, their pitching. I mean, that's thinned out considerably. Um, and then the Pirates are indeed a total teardown now. So the Cardinals should be the, are the team to beat in, in the Central. And they, all, they never seem to run out of pitching. That's what they do better than just about anybody in baseball as far as drafting and developing their own guys. I think they're going to still try to maybe reinforce that staff Maybe it's a Jake Odorizzi or someone like that. And I don't know if he signed last night if he, or something. If he did, then rescind that. But um, I don't. I still don't think, though, that the Cardinals are a team that you can honestly look at and say, well, hey, this team's better than the Dodgers. You know, this team's better than the Padres. This team's better than the Braves. This team's better than, say, the Mets. There, I, I don't see it. Now, what we've learned in St. Louis through the years well, heck, is as recently as 2019 when they beat the Braves in the playoffs. You know, once you get in, we've seen a lot of strange things happen. It, yeah. it, it tends to be really random, although in more recent times, the better teams indeed are getting through the playoffs and winning some of these rounds uh, and avoiding upsets. But the whole key is to get into the tournament, man, and then anything can happen. I mean, Tony LaRusso's first World Series here in 2006 – that was the least imposing team that he took into a, into the postseason. They won 83 games during the regular season, and yet they ended up winning it all. And the 2011 team that won the World Series was left for dead in mid-August, yet rallied and went to the final night of the regular season just to learn if they, they would make the playoffs as a wild-card team. So it's, it, once you get in, it, it, October can be really crazy. But right now, if you just look at the way it lines up in the regular season, the, I, the Cardinals are, um, even though they're better, you know, they're going to be, what, fifth, sixth best team in the National League, something like that. It's good. So it's going to be interesting. Now, if that, those young outfielders take off, which is their hope, uh, then they're a lot more dangerous. So um, that that's probably the defining factor of this team for uh 2021, the kind of offensive production they're going to get from an un, a largely unproven outfield. Now, you mentioned pitching depth before, and obviously that's very important for the Cardinals. And we're coming off a 60-game season where guys just didn't throw as many innings, and each team is going to have to have more depth to get through this 162-game season if it does happen at 162 games. Does that force the Cardinals to uh, pull up a guy a little bit early like Matthew Libitor you mentioned earlier, or another really top prospect pitcher in that organization? They like another lefty, too. They have in Zach Thompson who I think, uh, you know, he's not Libertor, but he's he's kind of a sleeper, and they like him a lot. And they their evaluations on pitchers are really good. I mean, in other words, 
the Cardinals constantly define pitching projections and prospect ratings because even a guy like Jack Flaherty and and by the way throw his 2020 out it was just a, yeah. it was just a strange experience and he just never got going but this Jack Flaherty's tremendous just absolutely tremendous but he was a guy that even the even the prospect people that I I really respect in terms of their their judgments uh, always underrated him under they undervalued him so the Cardinals have a bunch of guys in the system that are that are to, to fit this historical trend are are for the most part undervalued by prospect evaluators the cardinals have this just uh uncanny knack to to identify real deal pitchers i mean i, I remember having a conversation with Theo epstein about this and he's just like it was one thing that just that, that astonished the cubs that it's like how do they do this we're trying to figure this out. What do they see in these guys that, that the, the rest of us miss? How do they just continue to develop pitcher after pitcher after pitcher after pitcher? And that's what the reason, really, even though they've had great players like Pujols and Roland and Edmonds and Molina, and I could go down the list, name all their great position players uh, through the Bill DeWitt era. He's owned the team for 25 years. Um, he He's a guy who um, – they continue to just get pitcher after pitcher after pitcher, and it's been the strength of their organization for a long time. So um, they have a lot of them. The only thing is it it sounds strange because their depth is usually better than anybody else or just about anybody else. But if you – and this is unfair because right now after the Bauer signing, I don't think there's anyone in the majors who can match up rotation to rotation with a team like the Dodgers. Uh, they're in another world, oh, but yeah. in terms of depth, I mean, the Cardinals have a lot of arms and they're very resourceful and, and they'll be able to plug in any gaps. Do they have a, other than Flaherty, if he bounces back and I think he will, I mean, do they have, you know, an, an ace uh, other than him or a guy that rises to that level of could be an ace? Probably not. Adam Wainwright's tremendous, but he'll be 40 years old. In August, and again, uh, it's one thing to make ten starts as he did this past season, but now they're going to, you know, he's going to have to make thirty starts. So there's some question marks there, and some guys coming back from injuries like Miles Michaelis uh, and Dakota Hudson won't pitch because of Tommy John. Uh, they have the Korean pitcher KK Kim, that's who's really good, and I could just I could rattle off names because that's the that's the point. There's so many of them, but the, the pitching depth is tremendous. Um, in terms of having a you know a strong number two starter, let's say after after Flaherty, that's one of the questions. But they do have a lot of arms to cover the innings they need. Well, Jake Odorizzi still is a free agent. I think that'd be a great get for the Cardinals yeah. to fill out that rotation. Um, and, and with with Jack Flaherty, I'm I'm on the same page with you there. I remember watching him pitch against the Orioles in spring training in 2018, and he looked phenomenal. And I just remember thinking, man, I wish the Orioles or the Orioles had a guy like this in their organization. I think he's going to have a nice 2021 bounce back season. Now, Bernie, before we let you go, um, the Cardinals—they've won 11 World Championships. They're one of the best-run organizations in all of baseball. But they haven't won a World Series title since 2011. They have 19 annual pennants, none since 2013. For that town, is simply making the playoffs enough at this point, or do they expect a world championship caliber team every year? I think, uh, and this is something that I've said in my own, uh, on my own radio show, and uh, I, I'm writing for a, a, a site 
uh, owned and operated by Dan McLaughlin, who's the voice of the, the Cardinals on the TV side for a long time. And so I write columns for him. It's called scoopswithdannymac.com. If, you, if there's any Cardinals fans in that area who'd like to wonder what I'm up to writing, that's that's the thing. So thanks for letting me promote that. Oh, no, but absolutely. anyway, uh, the fans are spoiled. Um, listen, there's there's a reason for frustration with some of the things. I, I, you know, But I believe that both things can be true in that people should appreciate this the, the 25 years that we've had with Bill DeWitt as the owner of the franchise. And it's also okay to be frustrated uh, with the, their evaluations with the outfield and trading a guy like a Rosarina and not cycling throughout all these outfielders and not being able to figure it out yet. Maybe this is the year, who knows? Um, but yeah, there, I, I think I, I saw something in 2019 and again, we're talking about a Cardinals team, even though they got skunked by the Nationals in the NLCS, they made it to the NLCS, and yet there were and it was a 91-win team that was really good down the stretch. Yet there were empty seats uh, at Bush Stadium in a, for, for, for a post for a couple postseason games. I mean that that was stunning to me. Oh, absolutely. Um, yeah. So I, you know, sometimes you remember how when the Atlanta Braves were great all you know all the time under Bobby Cox. And, it, we would sit there. Probably you guys in Baltimore would sit there and watch. Said like, well, wait, where? How come they're not selling out? Or like, how come like for for first round playoff games, there's thousands of empty seats. That's there's. It's sort of like that a little bit here. Uh, now look, after the pandemic, things could change, and people will be so thankful to have a chance to be just go to the ballpark and enjoy being together again. But. There is a little unrest. It's like the Cardinals made the playoffs two years in a row, and I really commend the team last year because that team really got hit hard by COVID. They had to play a bunch of doubleheaders, and I thought they showed tremendous strength of character and competitiveness just to make the playoffs. And yet it was kind of like ho-hum. So the franchise is in a really weird state right now because I put something together that, that you know, for example, they, they've been in 10 of the last – uh, 21 NLCS and, and and over the last 21 years the Cardinals have played this I love this stat the last 21 years they've they've actually participated in, in just under 24 percent of all NLCS games and they've made the playoffs over the last 21 years more than any other team in baseball except for the Yankees and they've won more postseason games than any other team except for the Yankees I mean, there, I could go on. There, it, there's some staggering uh, achievements in terms of consistency of success, but yet there's some boredom here in St. Louis, and I think getting used to seeing teams, you know, in the World Series, you know, going into the year as a legit World Series contender, um, there's a little kind of sit back, wait, sit back and wait to see if uh, – if this is, is going to be the kind of team that can do that, um, it's a, a little bit of complacency is set in. And I don't know what, um, I, I don't know. It disappoints me. I just, I think sometimes people uh, don't see the big picture. And, and I say that as a Baltimore native who grew up loving the Orioles and still have a soft spot for them. And yet you see what ha- has happened to the Orioles, yeah. unfortunately. And, I say that on my radio some show sometimes. I say, look, 
you're talking to a Baltimore guy, take a look at the Orioles and what they were and what they've had to go through their fans for quite a while now. And just wake up a little bit. I mean, it's not easy to win. And yeah, you, you, you'd like to set the bar high and say it's world series or bust, but at times it's like, you know, why don't you appreciate a little more this 25 year run that you've had under Bill DeWitt? Because other than the Yankees, I don't think anybody can match it or top it. Oh no! The, sorry the, for the spe- sorry for the long speech there. No, no, no! It's, it's exactly what we asked for, and it's um, the, the, one of the best organizations in all of baseball. Now, ask Cardinals fans to trade their last twenty five years for Baltimore's last twenty five years, and see how bored they get going to playoff games after that stretch. Because, man, I would kill. I would kill to have a 25-year stretch in Baltimore like they've had in St. Louis. So, Bernie, we got to go get a break, but thank you so much for joining the program. I enjoyed being on. I enjoyed the longer conversations, and I want to say hello to my old friend Stan Charles, too. I know he was just on with you, so... If, if he's uh, if he's listening, just a personal hello to Stan. Shout out to my buddy there. Absolutely. Thanks, guys. I'll do it anytime. Thanks, Thanks Bernie. We'll talk to you soon. Take Thanks, care. Bernie. See you. And that was Bernie Miklas. He is a Baltimore native, used to write for the Baltimore News American. He now hosts a, uh, uh, a daily sports talk radio show for 590, The Fan in St. Louis, giving us a lot of great intel there on the St. Louis Cardinals. Um, just want to remind you all that the bat around is brought to you by Chesapeake Employers Insurance, your workers' compensation insurance specialist. After all, we do air live from the Chesapeake Employers Insurance studio. And I also want to let you all know that every Monday through Friday, Glenn Clark and Kyle Ottenheimer bring their pragmatic and irreverent approach to Baltimore sports via Press Box's Glenn Clark Radio. Watch the show at Facebook.com slash Sports. Listen at PressBoxOnline.com slash radio. You never know who might pop up on GCR. This week, the guys called up with Ravens tight end Nick Boyle, Maryland Athletic Director Damon Evans, John Brankus from Sports Science, and more. Find those interviews today in the Glenn Clark Radio Week in Review feature at PressBoxOnline.com. we got to get a break. When we come back, much like the 2020 season, we are going to have a truncated session of Orioles banter right after these words from our sponsors. The Toyota Tacoma comes in a wide range of models and trim lines. You can choose the perfect Toyota to reflect your unique personality and driving habits. Check out buyatoyota.com for deals on new Tacomas from your local Toyota dealer today. Hungry for something different? Try the winter seasonal menu at Glory Days Grill. Delicious chicken parmesan, house-made meatloaf, impossible cheesesteak, or their popular winter spinach salad. All available for dine-in or takeout. And don't forget a growler of your favorite draft beer. Order now at glorydaysgrill.com. For more than 100 years, Chesapeake Employers Insurance has been helping Maryland businesses keep their workers safe. With competitive pricing and an AM Best, A-minus financial strength rating, it's no surprise that Chesapeake Employers is Maryland's largest writer of workers' comp insurance. At the end of every workday, someone's waiting for your safe return. Connect with your agent or visit CEIWC.com. Get the fresh start you deserve. It's a new year. It's a new you. In the U.S. Army, you will acquire the skills and experiences that will prepare you for a long and successful career. There are more than 150 career fields to help you find the right fit for your future. Become a stronger and more successful individual that you and your family can be proud of. Explore all the ways to serve. To request more information, text AQWP to Go Army. 
or 462-769. Hey, Dad, can we try one of those hoagie things? <sighs> Sorry, son. We aren't hoagie people. What do you mean? Son, we're Royal Farms sub people, like my daddy was and his daddy before him, like you and me and all the folks we know. Gee, Dad, I never thought about it like that. So you're saying hoagie people are... Aliens, son. They're aliens. Royal Farm subs are Baltimore's best. Real fresh, real fast. Royal Farms. The biggest pro wrestling stars today and all time all have one thing in common. You've heard them on Jobbing Out. Brett the Hitman Hart. Good to be on the show. Adam Cole. How are you guys doing today? Matt Riddle. Yeah, man. Thanks, man. Broken Matt Hardy. Excellent. The bad guy, Scott Hall. Hey, yo. Keith Lee. Appreciate you guys having me, man. Bill Goldberg. My pleasure. Charlotte. Thank you so much for having me. Mick Foley is with us. This is the greatest name for a wrestling show I've ever heard. MJF. I'm glad you're happy I'm on this show because I'm freaking miserable. Go. Le champion! Chris Jericho. Le champion. AJ, Aaron, Brandon, and Glenn are talking pro wrestling every week on Jobbing Out. Find it at PressBoxOnline.com slash radio, iTunes, and SoundCloud. We don't give this uh, this this break to music back into our show enough credit. Something super guttural about it. You know, something just, just you know like, what I mean. It's like a pump up song kind of thing. It's yeah. like a, it's like a heavy metal kind of like I don't know, like but like a slow heavy yeah, metal. Yeah, like, like a it's, slow heavy metal. It, it, it's like it makes you feel good, but not like you want to bash your head through a wall. You know, it's it's good. It's good. I appreciate. I mean, it's, it's not the Glenn Clark radio music, but what is? What but is? I do. But Glenn Clark does set these ads up for us. He does put he does. the music in there and all that. So I appreciate him giving us something that makes us feel good inside. I think we need to get like Seven Nation Army on here, and that that would be that that would get our, everyone listening and us real pumped up. That would be that'd be good. Well, I don't know if you know this or not. We would have to get the rights to that song. Oh yeah, not, not, not own the rights, but we'd have to get permission. Otherwise, you have to pay royalties and whatnot, and you can't do more than thirty seconds of clips and stuff like that. And these are even though they're great songs to come back into, they are generic technically. So um, anyway. Zach has a mask there for us. You don't have to put it on. You can just hold it up because I forgot to tell you to put it on. Uh, while vaccines are here and there's reason and there's reason to be encouraged, COVID-19 is still a very real threat. Masks aren't going away anytime soon. So let's wear masks to celebrate our hometown and the teams and athletes we love. Pressbox is offering three different types of home team masks, including a purple and orange, Maryland flag pattern, 20-inch naked. Nick Getter, Neck Gator, plus a Celebrate 8 Purple Neck Gator honoring the MVP quarterback and an over-the-ear two-ply Maryland flag mask featuring a faded version of the iconic state flag. These are decorative masks. They're not CDC approved, but they are perfect for hanging out and watching games this fall while supporting your teams and being respectful to those around you. Get your masks right now at PressBoxOnline.com slash masks. That's PressBoxOnline.com slash masks to get yours now. We are broadcasting the bat around for PressBox Sports from the Chesapeake Employers Insurance Studio. It is time for Orioles banter. Again, a truncated version because we had a couple guests that ran a little long today, but that's okay because they gave us great stuff to talk about. Um... Let's just jump right in, man. The Orioles rotation. They traded away Alex Cobb. They got Jemai Jones. That's a solid get. Solid get for Alex Cobb, but it leaves a hole in their rotation. So as we look at it, they did sign Felix Hernandez to a minor league deal with an invite to spring training. Same thing for Wade LeBlanc. But this rotation right now, if the season started today, and thank God it doesn't because they haven't even ramped up. Uh, John Means, Keegan Aiken, Dean Kramer, those are probably your top three. Then you're looking, Felix Hernandez is probably your four. 
Wade LeBlanc and Jorge Lopez probably battling it out for the for the five spot. Also, Bruce Zimmerman, he's an outside candidate, made his uh, major league debut last year. He's a Del, he's a DMV native. Um, what are we looking for out of this rotation coming out of spring training? Felix Hernandez, like we said earlier, they're not signing him if they don't intend for him to be in their rotation. Does Wade LeBlanc make it out of spring training on this roster? Yeah, not only that with Felix, but he's not signing with the Orioles if he doesn't think he's going to have a chance. He he definitely knows he's going to have a chance to pitch and probably have a chance to get traded, just like Tommy Malone did the last one of the last minor league signings the Orioles made. Um, as far as Wade LeBlanc goes, I, I liked what you said earlier. I, I think it is a depth move, and that's that's the the real point of it, but I'm not sure if he has a chance. I think he's going to, if he goes out in spring training and, and throws a two ERA in all of his innings and he does great, then sure, I think he'll have a great chance. And the Orioles will value, you know, his veteran experience, I'm sure. But I also think the Orioles are, are would like to get a little bit younger. They would love to get younger. Jorge Lopez, he's not, you know, 23 years old, but he's a little bit younger than uh, Wade LeBlanc or, you know, Felix Hernandez would be. So, Jorge Lopez, I do think, has the inside track to the fifth spot right now. Um, you know, he he's a guy I really didn't expect to last this long because he was a waiver claim, wasn't a guy who was really highly touted or anything. Just another one of the guys the Orioles picked up along the way, and he, he stuck around, and he's, he's done all right. They seem to love his stuff. I don't know how well it translates to games, but I, I would prefer Jorge Lopez, and I think he probably has the inside track. It's crazy because you've never been a Jorge Lopez fan. No, you, I you, really, you, I really. You talked about his peripherals last year in the yeah, analytics, <laughs> and, and and they're not good. So it's surprising to hear you say that you would rather see him in the rotation. Um, we also have to think about the fact that it's. Look, we talked about this on multiple occasions throughout this show. Um, they're going to need a lot of pitching. Every team's going to need a lot of pitching because nobody threw. More than, what, like 80 innings? And spring training is not going to be enough to get that up. It's just not. You, right. You're not going to be able to throw as many innings as a regular season. It's just uh, the way it is. Exactly. So you're going to see the debuts of Michael Bauman and Alexander Wells and Zach Lowther at some point this year. You're going to see that. So uh, Thomas Eshelman, he resigned, said this is where he wanted to be, a minor league deal uh, with the Orioles. He's likely tick ticketed for the bullpen in long relief. Uh, and to come in in the off chance that somebody like Wade LeBlanc gets hurt and he has to come in and, and, and throw a few innings for the Orioles, if he even makes a major league roster. It's a minor league deal for Eshelman. He could be in Norfolk as well on that shuttle back and forth. I do expect there to be another signing or two. I would love I to see a Colin McHugh or Matt yeah. Shoemaker signing. I think that McHugh, Stan said he expects that McHugh would get about $2.5 million. He signed with the Red Sox last year for $600,000 before the pandemic. And then he didn't pitch. And, and in my opinion, two and a half is doable for the Orioles. They just saved five million on cop, so I think they it's doable. did. And the thing is, even guys like Rockabaco and Joe Pre Joe Tress are saying that they're probably going to want to stay around that one million dollar threshold, which is not going to get you Matt Shoemaker, but it might get you Colin McHugh. And Colin McHugh is still an effective pitcher and somebody who has. You look at the Orioles and say, you know what? This might be one of the few teams that gives me an opportunity to start, and that's really what I want to do. So yep. I still think that we're going to see between now and Tuesday the 16th, or maybe even into spring training, we're going to see another veteran starting pitcher sign with the Orioles, possibly on a major league deal. They said they have major league deals on the table right now. We don't know to who and for how much. But I, we're going to see another another pitcher or two sign with this ball club. And we also can't forget about the, the Rule 5 guys, Max Scroller and Tyler Wells. They're also options for the rotation. I believe one of them is a relief pitcher strictly, but um, you know, could, could be an opener I, I, for the I think Orioles. That, I think that's Scroller. Is, is it, it Scroller? Okay. And yeah. Tyler Wells is, is um, a, a lot of people seem to think he has more upside. Yeah, so he could easily get the number five spot. But I do think whoever does end up getting the five spot, whether it's Lopez, whether it's LeBlanc, 
they're probably going to be replaced about halfway through the season. I think Ballman is knocking on the door. I think Lowther's really knocking on the door. And Wells, again, is, is really major league ready. So any of those three guys could easily take over the number five spot. And if Felix Hernandez is traded by the deadline, they could take over the number four spot too. So I, I think that you know Means, Aiken, and Kramer are locks for pretty much the entire season there, unless they want to move Aiken to the bullpen. But Four and five are still up in the air right now, especially, and, and I think they'll be replaced depending on who even gets it. Well, and you, you also have to think, you know, between injuries and ineffectiveness. Yeah, exactly. You, need, you really need eight or nine legitimate starting rotation candidates in spring training. Like, like guys who, if you had to, you can leave camp with them in your rotation. You need eight or nine of those guys. And the Orioles, they have—it's it, crazy because they only have three spots spoken for, but they do have— a ton of starting pitching that they're going to have in camp, and a ton of guys who are going to make their debuts at some point this year. So it's really exciting to see. Now, we're going to move over a little bit to the infield. Of course, Trey Mancini at first base, Yomer Sanchez at second, Galvis at short, and Rio Ruiz at third to start the year. Also in the mix, Jemai Jones, who could be their future second baseman, Pat Valleca, Ramon Urias, uh, Stevie Wilkerson. I look at Jemai Jones, and I think that this is a guy who profiles as potentially the Orioles' second baseman of the future. But the question is, does he start the year at Norfolk? Because there's not really a spot for him right now. Or do they find a way to get him into as many games at different positions as possible? Joe Trezza from MLB.com said that he doesn't expect him to play much third base. If he's not playing second, he's going to be in the outfield. Uh, And does his signing now make a guy like Yomer Sanchez more expendable? And could you see the Orioles trading him before the season? Honestly, no. I, I think the Orioles like Yomer Sanchez just because of the defense. We've right. talked about it so often that he really will be able to back up these young pitchers, and that's so important. And, I, and personally, I'm a, I'm a big Yomer Sanchez fan. I like him there at second base. Jemai Jones, you're kind of throwing him into it, and he's only had, I think, nine plate appearances in the major leagues so far. So, you know, if you put him out there at second base on opening day, it's kind of a risk. Maybe halfway through the season, if Yomer's not producing offensively, which we know he might not, then sure, throw Jemai Jones out there, start him as a utility man for the year. I know you have Pat Faleka, you have some other options there, but you know you could definitely put him in the outfield a little bit, put him in the infield, and then gradually give him that starting second base role if Yomer Sanchez isn't performing. I think the most expendable guy in this infield is definitely Rio Ruiz. I just don't think he's a guy... Personally, I'm not a fan. I don't think he's going to stick around for very much longer if he makes it even through this year. And and he's a good defender, but the bat just isn't there. And, and it's, but it's but here's the thing. He took his his uh, slumping, his offensive struggles into the field. He was a good defender the first yeah, month you're right about last that. year, and then he was pretty bad down the stretch defensively. And, and look, the time is now for Rio Ruiz because we, another guy that we didn't even mention is Ryland Bannon. Yeah, and and Ry- Ryland Bannon is going to debut this year at some point. And so now... And it's great because you have two guys knocking on the door, Jemai Jones and Ryland Bannon, and it's like, Rio, put up or shut up. Put up or shut up. And, and Yomer Sanchez can play third. Yeah. So he, yeah, he you, can it, easily move over. For Ruiz, the time is now. I think the, the leash is short because the Orioles know they have other options who at least can be better offensively and can be just as good, if not better, defensively. So we'll see how that goes. Um, moving to the outfield. You'd think Mountcastle on left, Hayes in center, Santander in right, with Mullins as a fourth outfielder. However, when Rock put out of the lineup back in December, he had Cedric Mullins starting in center field on opening day. Joe Trezza put out his lineup the other day. 
he has Cedric Mullins starting in, in center field on the opening day against right-handed pitching. Like, look, I get it that Mullins had a really nice bounce-back season in 2020, especially when you consider he got demoted from the majors to AAA and from AAA to AA in 2019. Big bounce-back season for Cedric Mullins. But is he really going to start at any... Like, I, I get... Let me rephrase that. Do you really want Austin Hayes in a platoon in center field? Yeah, I, I don't think so. I, I think Hayes, they still view as the long-term center fielder. I think he's still the five-tool potential if he can ever work it out. You know, he's, he's always had the injury issues. He gets in his head a little bit. But he's got the potential that I don't think Cedric Mullins has. And, and Cedric Mullins is a fine player, but we can't forget that half of his hits last year were bunts. I mean, not half, but there were a good bit of them. Seven or eight bunt hits. Yeah, he had quite a bit of them. And that was really a a reason for his high average. I mean, it rose so much because he was getting on base bunting. There's nothing wrong with that, but it's not going to work forever. You're not going to be able to lay down every bunt. And that's really what he he built his entire 2020 on, in my opinion, was just the bunt hits. He's a great defender, but this is not a guy who, in my opinion, it really is the starting center fielder right now. I think Hayes, you're going to get more production out of still. That's my opinion. I, I think I, he's there. I agree. I think Hayes, and we saw Hayes was playing most of the first half of last season, if you even want to call it that, with broken ribs. Yeah. He, he missed like 23 games because because of broken ribs. And then when he got healthy, he lit it and, up. And, and then he lit up, just like he did in, in September of 2019. And you, people forget, this is a guy who was a top five finalist for, for minor league player of the year, in the in, not in the organization, across the country in 2017. He was the first draft player from the drafted player from the 2016 draft class to debut at the major league level. Austin Hayes is a ball player, and he's... He, He's got something to prove this year. Got to stay healthy. He and Anthony Anthony Santander have got to stay healthy if the Orioles want to do anything. Look, look, they're not making the playoffs this year. But if they want people to take them seriously, those two guys need to stay healthy and hit in the top third, uh, top half of that order. And Cedric Mullins, great defensive player. Offensively, he he he's good at what he does. He gets the bunt hits. He's using his speed more, and he's. He, he showed a little bit of pop. He hit a few home runs last year. Um, but he's more of a fourth outfielder, more of a guy who's a late-game defensive replacement. But even then, you're, you're, he'd be replacing like Mountcastle in left field. And do you really want to take Mountcastle's bat yeah. out of the lineup? So they got to figure out what to do with Cedric Mullins. He's still going to play two to three games a week at, at a minimum. So, look, and then catcher. I mean, look, it's, it's Pedro Severino and Chance Cisco, but the entire narrative for this entire season is going to be When's Adley Rutschman coming? That's that's going to be the storyline all year. Fans right? fans berated the Orioles on social media all through 2020 to bring up Ryan Mountcastle. This year it'll be Adley Rutschman, especially if he's tearing it up in the minors. Yeah, it's it's going to be the Adley Rutschman show. You had Greg Amsinger uh, prior to 20 prior to 2020 um, before the shutdown saying. Adley Rutschman should be the starting starting catcher for the Orioles in the opening day in 2020 before he ever played more than you know 40 30 games professionally. So there's going to be a lot of clamoring for Adley Rutschman, especially if he gets off to a hot start at Double A, and if Chan Cisco and Pedro Severino continue to struggle offensively for the Orioles. The narrative all year, guys, is going to be Adley Rutschman. Just prepare for it now. Um, uh, Zach's going to tell us about our print, print edition of Press Box while I get Josh Soroka on the line.
All right, the latest edition of Press Box is available now, and it's our very special annual Best of Issue. On the cover, we recognize our Mo Gabba Sports Person of the Year, Troy Mancini, whose courageous fight against colon cancer and dedication to the community inspired us this year. We also recognize other Baltimore sports fighters, the current and former local athletes and coaches who have taken active roles in the fight against COVID-19 and for social justice. Press Box is available for free at over 500 area locations, including 60 Royal Farm stores, and you can always find the entire edition as well as the best daily coverage of the Orioles, Ravens, and Terps at PressBoxOnline.com. Lovely job, as always, Zach. On the line with us now, we have from the Section Section 336 podcast, Josh Soroka. Josh, how are you today? Hey, I'm doing good. How are you guys? We're, we're doing well. We're rolling along here. We uh, Stan and um, Bernie, our two fir- our first two guests today, both ran a little bit long, so we apologize for the delay getting you on the show, but certainly appreciate you joining us today. Josh, what are your thoughts on the signings of King Felix, Felix Hernandez, and Wade LeBlanc, do you see the Orioles signing another pitcher or two, and where do you think they fit in with this rotation? I don't think any of us really know what we're getting from King Felix. I think we're all just excited because it's a player who's been on the other side of the country for his whole career as we've watched him excel. So to have him here, he's not gonna, we, none of us have the expectations that he's going to be what he used to be. But it's still exciting to have a player we know signed. And Wade LeBlanc, I think that's kind of a makeup chance for Michael Elias because I think Michael Elias wanted to build him up and trade him last year, and he didn't get that opportunity with the injury and stuff. So now's another chance to do the exact same thing. So I don't know. This team's not expected to do anything, so these are fine. Yeah, and Wade LeBlanc, I think, is more so a depth thing than anything else. If he makes the rotation, it's because he earned it in spring training. Now, there's a couple other guys out there. We were talking about them a little bit. Colin McHugh, Matt Shoemaker. I still think the Orioles are going to sign another veteran pitcher. They said they have major league deals out there. What do you see happening with this rotation moving forward? Because we know that guys like Michael Bauman and Zach Louth and Alexander Wells are going to come up at some point. They're all knocking on the door. But who do you see uh, signing with the Orioles as well during spring training? Um, I would like them to not sign anyone because I would, like you, I'm sure, want to see these young pitchers grow and get more innings under them. But I think they're going to sign someone. And it doesn't really matter who they sign because it's all going to be about eating innings and given more time for development. So they don't really, I don't even think Michael Elias cares what the pitcher's ERA is going to be as long as the pitcher can pitch five innings a night. Yeah, no, that's, that's, that's a fair point because at this point it's really just bridging a gap till we get to those younger guys that we just mentioned. They did just trade Alex Cobb, which put a, a hole in the rotation uh, for Jemai Jones. The Orioles actually got a solid return for Cobb, and fans seem to be excited about that. What do you see as Jemai Jones's role with this ball club? Because there's not really a spot for him as we stand right now. Well, the Orioles have decided he's worth $10 million. Yeah. They're, they're picking up a big chunk of Cobb's money in order to uh, get a higher prospect than, than just Cobb. And, uh, it's, so it's a little better than a salary dump. I think... The Orioles are projecting that this guy's going to be a part of this future and part of this team. We know we have a bunch of depth in the outfield. Our infield depth is a lot younger and unproven. And this guy had really high projections, and he hasn't really gotten a fair shake in the majors yet. 
Hey, Josh, it's Zach Goodman. And we obviously know about Taron Vavra came over in the trade this summer with the Rockies. And I kind of look at Jemai Jones and Taron Vavra as two of the same. They're very similar prospect profiles, in my opinion. Who do you prefer? Who, do, who would you think would be the, the, the standout, maybe in spring training for the Orioles and then down the road? Oh, I, I think it's I think it's way too hard to project that right now. Fair enough, I think yeah. there's, there, there could easily be a spot for both these guys because I'm not comfortable with – I don't think I'm very comfortable with any of the uh, second, short, third base projections yet. There's a lot of guys with, that we hope, uh, but I don't trust any of them yet. No, yeah, that, that that makes a lot of sense. We've never seen uh, Yomer Sanchez play here. We we I mean, Freddie Galvis isn't a great on on base guy, and we've seen two seasons now of Rio Ruiz with a lot left to be desired. So I understand where you where you're coming from with that. Now another guy that the Orioles have in their lineup, who's a main piece of this lineup, is Anthony Santander. And he went to an arbitration hearing yesterday, and he lost. Excuse me, and he lost. Um, so he's going to make the two point one million this year instead of the two point four seven five million that he was asking for. Do you worry about the negative impact that these hearings can have on a player because they're basically being uh, dressed down in front of a whole panel to, to be told why they're not worth what they're asking for? No, because the, it's a joke that Anthony Santander lost this arbitration hearing. Because he walked out with a $1.2 million raise. That's so, true. I, I've gone and asked my boss for a raise, and I've been told no, and I go back with my same salary. To say you lost and you get a big raise, it's, that's agents and stuff, and that has nothing to do with the player. That's agents pushing for every penny they can get. Um, but I still think it's interesting that his name's being tossed around for trade uh, stuff. So Michael Elias is definitely still interested in maybe passing them on and putting a younger guy in there. Well, and with Santander, he's he seems like a player you'd build around, a switch hitter with power. Yeah, he's a gold glove caliber outfielder, as he proved in 2020. He has been injured to end the season each of the last two years. but And he's got four years of, of team control. It would, have to, I, I, it, it would have to be a haul for them to move Santander, would it not? Nah, it depends. It depends because... It's, you can't judge Anthony Santander off last season. And he had a record career year last season for 30 games. So if you think that's the peak, Santander, and you're, he's not going beyond that, then yeah, you trade him now while he's hot and while, while he's high. You build off those numbers. I would think that another team is not going to pay you based on those numbers. So I don't know if he's really a trade candidate at this point until he proves it again in 2021. No, it's 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 a fair point, Josh. And you know, another prospect that the Orioles are that's really highly touted, maybe the high the highest touted uh, prospect not next to Wander Franco is Adley Rutschman. And there's no mistake about it; he's coming. He he's going to be here at some point, whether it's in September or whether it's this time next year. Adley Rutschman is coming, and this season, a lot of that this season's focus is going to be on that. We know Baltimore fans. We know that if he gets off to a hot start and Severino and Cisco don't, they're going to be like, bring Rutschman up, bring Rutschman up. What are your expect expectations for Adley Rutschman this year, and how do the Orioles handle him this season? Uh, yeah, I mean, come on. This has been all offseason. This has been the argument on every Orioles podcast at some point. Uh, I'm in this camp of bring Adley Rutschman up now. Let him learn on the big league level. Let's just go. Let him develop with the pitchers. 
But, of course, Michael Elias isn't bringing up the pitchers, so I don't think we see him this year. I think he's going to have to be really pushing the cover off the ball in triple-A, double-A in order to get a chance up here, and the Orioles are going to have to have some injuries behind the plate. I think Michael Elias is looking at it on the business side, which fans don't like to, but you wait longer, you keep them longer. So let's wait until the team is ready to win and then bring them up then is what I project. Yeah, throughout Houston's rebuild, that was kind of their model. They would wait until every one of their prospects was very, very ready to go. You know, They would wait until they absolutely proved they were ready for the major leagues. And that's kind of the philosophy I feel like that Mike Elias has brought to Baltimore. Do you agree with that philosophy, Josh? Or would you rather see some of the prospects brought up now? I know you said you'd like to see Adley Rutschman right now. Yeah, yeah as a fan, you, you want to bring prospects up one at a time and let's watch this team grow. But you can't deny the reason Houston was such a surprise and when that uh, Sports Illustrated cover came out saying they're going to win the World Series, it was a surprise because it was a surprise to people not covering the Astros. People who were covering the Astros, and uh, I'm blanking on the guy who wrote the article, it was not a surprise to him because he saw them grow in the minors and then all of a sudden they brought everyone up. That's what we're going to end up doing here. So that's why this season's not going to be fun. It's, they're going to lose a lot. We're going to enjoy it as Oriole fans. But if you really want to get to know these young guys, you've got to pay attention to the minor leagues this year. Because all of a sudden, it, 2022, they're going to have to bring someone up. Probably a few people up. And that's when you're really going to see this growth. Well, yeah, and you're absolutely right. If you want to have fun following the Orioles in 2021, and this is what, what, I, what I've been doing since 2019 – you really got to pay attention to the minor leagues. That's where all the talent in this organization is. And some of them have trickled up into the major leagues, like Ryan Mountcastle and Austin Hayes. But you got to pay attention. They have t- five players in the top 100 right now. There's, there's only three teams that can boast that right now, or, or maybe three to five teams that can boast that right now. You mentioned that it's not going to be fun from a wins and loss standpoint. It seems like many people believe this is still a 100-loss ball club in 2021. I personally think they're going to be a little bit better than that. I think they can approach 70 wins in 2021. But what is your best-case scenario, Josh, for this season? Oh, this season so hard to predict. I would, I'm with you for more high 60s, low 70s. Um, because I think that there's this team was fun last year. And really, this year we got Trey Mancini back. We got Santander back healthy. Pitching, who knows what the rotation's going to look like. Right. But it can't get really worse. So I project a slight increase. And it's baseball. You never know. Anything can happen. Yeah, no, I, I, I tend to agree with you on that. Anything can happen. I don't think the Orioles are going to be the surprise team of 2021 by any stretch of the imagination, but I think that we're yeah. going to see a lot of young guys, like we said, uh, Bauman, Lowther, Wells, um, maybe Yusniel Diaz and Ryan McKenna at some point. All these guys are going to debut at some point this year, and that's going to make for fun baseball, even if the Orioles aren't winning a ton of games. Now, Getting away from that now, Josh, one of the main reasons that we brought you on the program, Masson announced that they're not going to have the pregame show. They're not going to have the postgame show this year. Uh, they're basically going to do 15-minute intros and outros with the already on-air talent that's going to be calling the games. So you you came up with an idea that you're including Zach and I in, a lot of Orioles bloggers and podcasters from the area, um, and you're calling it Birdland Tonight. So why don't you tell our listeners 
uh, where this idea came from, what the fans can expect, um, who's going to be hosting these shows, and where the viewers and listeners can tune in. All right. Well, I guess I did a poor job setting it up as saying the Orioles aren't going to be fun to watch this week or this year because what, what I'm working on is this uh, post-game show made by Orioles podcasters and bloggers, people who are on the websites that you're already going to and getting your Orioles news uh, that are not employed by the Orioles or Masson are a fans thing. This is a very much a for fans by fans post-game show after every game. And I don't have a whole list. You guys are going to be involved. We had a great meeting this week. It looks about 10 to 14 different people signed up right now at the start of the season. And that's going to, of course, grow as we go on because we, it's 162 games. So we're talking 162 shows this year. So it's going to be tough to do uh, and not something I could have done all by myself. So I'm excited that so many podcasters and bloggers are excited to do this. Paul, I know you and I are going to kick it off on opening day. With uh, after that, with the first post game of the season, yep. and we're just we're excited. People can go and check it out at uh, birdlandtonight.com on whatever your social media stuff is. Go and subscribe and follow uh, Birdland Sports because that's where we're going to be streaming on Facebook, Twitter, Twitch, uh, whatever else, YouTube, all those sites. We're going to try to just hit the market and really get people to pay attention that, hey, I like the post-game shows, but let's be honest, the post-game shows made by Masson, it's like the Orioles are paying them to talk about the Orioles. It's all positive, it's all glowing, and that's not what you want, especially in a season where they're going to lose a bunch. So while the Orioles and Masson figure out what they're doing, we're going to take charge and go forward and have great conversations after these losses this year. Well, it certainly is a brilliant idea. And you look at, if you go on Orioles Twitter uh, after a game, whether they win or whether they lose, people are active talking about it for for a, a good bit of time after every game. And this gives people an avenue to go and watch other fans like them talk about the team, talk about what they just saw from the game, what's coming up, and gives them a chance to interact because they can comment on these shows. They can they can talk to us on there. And, Josh, I when I saw that you had that open slot for the second host on opening day, I jumped right on that because you're a technological wizard with all this stuff. You, you know all the stuff that I have no idea how to do. And... I'm just excited to get on that program, see how you how you do things, talk some Orioles baseball with you, and to learn from you. Uh, so it's it's an exciting prospect for me. As soon as I saw it, I was like, I'm, I'm jumping on because I want that spot. So that's why I signed up on that. And you've done the legwork, man. You've you've put in time, effort, um, I'm sure money into this thing. And it's, it's looking fantastic, man. It looks like it's going to be a lot of fun. I can't wait to get it started. Uh, we're going to start with a little Wednesday shows to get us through spring training. And I think that's going to start this coming Wednesday and build up. And then the week before we're going to do shows every night leading up to opening day. So it's going to be a special year for, and a really great opportunity for all these Orioles podcasts and bloggers to get out there and have a fun conversation as we get to know all these young guys getting ready for some winning baseball in the next couple of years. Yeah, and this is a perfect time to do it because, you know, like we said, these young prospects are starting to trickle up into the onto the major league roster, and it's it's a lot of fun to talk about what could be and what might just be right around the corner uh, for some Orioles winning baseball. So, uh, Josh, where can people uh, uh, watch or listen to this post game show this year? All right, so birdlandtonight.com. 
Birdland Sports on every social media site that's out there, except TikTok, Snapchat, that stuff. I'm a little too old to understand that stuff. <laughs> but your traditional sites, Birdland Sports, and we're going with Birdland Sports because Birdland Tonight hopefully will expand, and maybe it'll be a pregame show down the road and everything. But Birdland Tonight and Birdland Sports is where you want to go and bookmark all that stuff today. Absolutely. Now, before we let you go, do you want to give us a plug for the Section 336 podcast? It's the same plug. Check out Section 336 on everything you do. It's a podcast I do with me and my brother. And uh, we're going on, I think this is our eighth year covering the Orioles as a podcast. And, you know, there's nothing like sitting at a bar arguing about sports, except then if you take it to the next level and you're arguing about sports with family. And that's what we do every week every Monday night on Section 336. So check that out as well. All right, Josh, thank you so much for joining the program, man. We're going to talk soon, all right? All right, I'll see you. Thank you. All right, man, take it easy. That was Josh Soroka from the Section 336 podcast. He's doing, man, he's done so, and you saw, you were on the Zoom meeting with us the other night. He's done so much legwork in setting this up through StreamYard and having everybody that's going to be able to do it and have the sign-up sheet. And it's, it's, it's going to be a lot of fun to talk some baseball and to kind of, you know, we're not taking over the Orioles post game show, but we're giving fans something that they'd be missing otherwise. Right, giving another option. I mean, there, if Masson's not going to have them, why can't we? So exactly, so, somebody's got to do it. We're going to jump up and, and take the ball, and hopefully, we're going to run with it. So, um, and there, the Section Three Thirty Six podcast. Now, Josh moved down to Florida uh, a year or two ago, but I was on the Section Three Thirty Six podcast after I wrote an article about how the Orioles. Don't kill me. Should trade Adam Jones to re-sign Manny Machado, uh-oh, and they, they and they had me on the program in that studio that he had set up in in his basement out there. Unbelievable, man! Unbelievable setup that they had down there. And then he had he hosted Birdland uh, Radio um, the next year, where all of the all of us bloggers and podcasters got to go down and do a half hour segment on the show. So that was a ton of fun too. Um, Josh does a great job, man. It's, it's a phenomenal setup that he has, even in his Florida home now. So really excited to work with him, and I can't wait for opening day just to be able to work with him and see how this thing runs and kind of hit, hopefully hit the ground running. Uh, you got a live read for RAV4 for us. I do. All right, make the most out of every day in a Toyota RAV4 available in hybrid or gas-only models. A RAV4 can get you where you want to go in style. Check out buyatoyota.com for deals on new RAV4s from your local Toyota dealer today. Excellent job, as always. we got to get our third and final break uh, from the Chesapeake Employers Insurance Studio. Uh, When we come back, we're going to close this thing out. C3 American Exteriors is the area's best and most trusted roof and siding specialists. C3 is also an insurance adjuster's worst nightmare and a homeowner's dream come true. With all of the bad weather, chances are you have some roof and siding damage. Call C3 American Exteriors now to get your roof and siding repairs for the cost of your deductible. Don't let the insurance industry get one over on you. C3 guarantees a 48-hour rapid response. Call 401 or go to c3america.com for a free analysis. 
since masks are a part of our lives now and probably will be for a while, we might as well wear masks that celebrate our hometown and the teams and athletes we love. Pressbox is offering three different types of masks, including a purple and orange Maryland flag pattern 20-inch neck gaiter, plus a Celebrate 8 purple neck gaiter honoring the MVP quarterback, and an over-the-ear two-ply Maryland flag mask featuring a faded version of the iconic state flag. These are decorative masks. They're not CDC approved, but they are perfect for hanging out and watching games this fall while supporting your favorite teams and being respectful of those around you. Get your masks right now at PressBoxOnline.com masks. That's PressBoxOnline.com masks to get yours now. Get the fresh start you deserve. It's a new year. It's a new you. In the U.S. Army, you will acquire the skills and experiences that will prepare you for a long and successful career. There are more than 150 career fields to help you find the right fit for your future. Become a stronger and more successful individual that you and your family can be proud of. Explore all the ways to serve. To request more information, text AQWP to Go Army or 462-769. Hey, Dad, can we try one of those hoagie things? <sighs> Sorry, son. We aren't hoagie people. What do you mean? Son, we're Royal Farms sub people, like my daddy was and his daddy before him, like you and me and all the folks we know. Gee, Dad, I never thought about it like that. So you're saying hoagie people are... Aliens, son. They're aliens. Royal Farm subs are Baltimore's best. Real fresh, real fast. Royal Farms. For more than 100 years, Chesapeake Employers Insurance has been helping Maryland businesses keep their workers safe. With competitive pricing and an AM Best, A minus financial strength rating, it's no surprise that Chesapeake Employers is Maryland's largest writer of workers' comp insurance. At the end of every workday, someone's waiting for your safe return. Connect with your agent or visit CEIWC.com. The latest edition of Press Box is available now, and it's our very special annual Best of Issue. On the cover, we recognize our Mo Gabba Sports Person of the Year, Trey Mancini, whose courageous fight against colon cancer and dedication to the community inspired us this year. We also recognize other Baltimore sports fighters, the current and former local athletes and coaches who have taken active roles in the fight against COVID-19 and for social justice. Press Box is available for free at over 500 area locations including 60 Royal Farm stores. And you can always find the entire edition as well as the best daily coverage of the Orioles, Ravens, and Terps at PressBoxOnline.com. All right, welcome to the Batter Round. We're going to close this thing out for you. Really good show. Really today, good show. Zach. Really good show. And, and, you know, I don't mind when our guests run long when they have a lot to say that we want to hear. Um, which is almost always the case, anyway. Yeah, right? and especially the Cardinals. Like we don't, we don't follow Cardinals baseball. It's always great to hear more and more about what they, you know, have uh, going on. Cardinals baseball, it's great baseball. Is it's what the Orioles used to be. There are a lot of comparisons from Baltimore to St. Louis. Yeah. Um, based on what the Orioles used to be and what the Orioles can be, the Orioles, the Orioles are that kind of baseball town. They just haven't had anything to root for in forty years. Yeah. You I, know, you have, you had. Since the 1983 World Series victory over the Phillies, you really had 92 to 97, and then you had 2012 to 2016. 
And that was it. That was yeah. it. You're talking 40 years almost, and you've had 10 winning seasons. I'm sorry, nine. Yeah, no, 10 winning seasons in the last 40. That is, that is awful. It is. That, it is. that is awful. When you look at a team that only had one losing season from 1960 to 1986, 10 winning seasons in my lifetime, how am I a fan? It's. I mean, it's tough. It's. It's. You know, we grow up here, and it's. You got to be an Orioles fan. So you know. No, trust me. I'm. I'm a fan. They're my first love, and I love oh, being yeah. a fan. Same here. Same but here. it's amazing that they've been so bad for so long, and I'm still the biggest, the big fan that I am. That's what diehard fans do. But I, you know, one thing about what Bernie said, I, I couldn't make a mention of it while we were doing the interview, but he said how Cardinals fans are kind of World Series or bust all the time. They don't really take the time to appreciate how good the Cardinals are and get into the, the playoffs basically every year in the past couple of years at least. And I feel that's the same way it is with Ravens fans. You know, we, we, we expect to get in the playoffs every year. We we do most of the time. And then you look at a team like the New York Jets, who are just a colossal failure every year. And you, you get to appreciate that. So once the Orioles get back into contention and, you know, maybe making the playoffs every year and not making the World Series, we have to take the time to appreciate that. So, I you know, I like what he said. No, that. that's a good point with the Ravens. Because, I mean, now look, the Ravens made the playoffs one time after 2012 from 2013 to 2017, they made the playoffs once. 2015, very rough. 2015 was, was a bad season. A lot of injuries. Yeah. Uh, and then they ended up uh, winning, making the playoffs each of the last three years. But make no mistake, the, the Ravens are have been a better run organization than the Orioles. The Orioles, I yeah. firmly believe the Orioles are on their way. Um, the Ravens I, are consistent winners. Though. They, they, yeah, they yeah. usually are, and they and, always try to compete. And that's the goal. The goal that has been stated all along is to get this rebuild done now so that they never, not just so that they can win for 10 years, it's so that they never have to do it again. Get that talent pipeline coming. And that's why a strike scares me so much. Yeah, no, because I'm with you. Because the, the pandemic, having no fans in the stands, has cost the Orioles a ton. Cost every team a ton. But a team like the Orioles could drown if there's a strike. If there's a yeah. strike after this season, it's it's the worst possible thing that could happen to baseball. It, it all but ensures the sale of the team. Yeah. I, that's another thing about it. Yeah, yeah, and that doesn't mean the team's moving, guys. It doesn't mean no, the team no, would no, move. No. no, no. But it basically ensures that the team would be would be sold. And then where do they go from there? You know. But that's not what we we really want to talk about right now. We'll we'll cross that bridge when we come to it. Uh, I do want to address something that that Stan uh, brought up, and that's Mickey Callaway. And. Mickey Callaway, if you if you don't know, he was the um, I believe he was the manager of the Mets at one yep. point, and he was with the Indians, and now he is the pitching coach for the Los Angeles Angels. Though I'm sure he's going to be out of a job. How I'm, how he's not at this point? He, I, I don't that, really understand. That, that, that dude's not coaching. No. Maybe ever again, but definitely not this year. And what he did is he sends these illicit pictures to female reporters and uh, uh, women in sports and. Uh, he he makes passes at them and says ridiculous stuff. Some of the text messages and pictures that they put out there, it's just like, what are you doing? All in the athletic, and, and, by the yeah. way. Yeah. And 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 the the question, what are you doing? Like what? Yeah. You guys, you can't do it. You, you, I have a fiance who I love with all my heart and soul, and she is she is very popular on Twitter. On Baltimore Sports Twitter, she's a beautiful woman with a lot of knowledge about sports. She is she has she has like five times as many followers as I do, and I work in this in, in Baltimore sports. And people would send her pictures unsolicited, graphic pictures all the time. Guys, yeah. I'm going to tell you right now, the women don't want it. They don't want it. They don't want to see what you're working with. Nobody wants to see that. You're not. It, 
The female body, work of art. Male body, it's gross. Women don't want to see it. Knock it off. They're not asking for it. They don't want it. They're not going to look at your junk and say, oh, I want this guy. That's not going to be a thing. Stop it. Just stop it. All right? Yeah. In social media, everybody has their phone on them 24-7. You can't do this stuff. You can't send illicit pictures. You can't send forward text messages to people. You can't do it, especially when you're a high-profile person. And with the Me Too movement, you especially can't do it now. You never should have done it, but you really can't do it now. Yeah, and you're seeing how many of the, these guys are coming out now, and, and people are accusing them of doing it. And you know, there's so much proof of it. You see all these text messages, and it's just weird. I mean, it's simply it's simply weird. The, 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 so, stuff, that, the stuff that they send them. Look, we've all been been guilty of a stupid pickup line every now and again. But it's like you, you're putting this out there. Everything you do online and everything you do in a text message, people can see. At some point or yeah. another, people can see. It. And if you're a high profile person and you do this stuff. Brett Favre didn't get away with it. You're not getting away with either Mickey Callaway. It's just, it's just not a thing. Jer- Jared Porter. Yeah, just guys, knock it off. Abs- just knock it off. Just stop. Last thing I want to talk about because you brought it to my attention the other day, uh, Carlos Correa, and he was, if you remember when he was drafted by Houston, Michael Eyes was at the forefront of that of that draft class, and they, I, who was the player that they were supposed to take? Everybody was saying, oh, this is the number one overall pick. I can't remember who it was. Uh, I, I believe it was the pitcher they took the year after. Um, I was it Brady. It wasn't Brady Aiken. No, but, a, a, a a bell, something. Uh, yeah, I'll look it up. Hold on, give me. But but so they they ended up drafting Carlos Correa with that top pick instead um, to go under slot and save some money. And then Carlos Correa becomes this big all world shortstop for the Houston Astros. Well, now he's going to be a free agent after twenty twenty one, and a lot of people are linking him to the Orioles, saying that. What you got for me? It was Mark Appel. Mark Appel. Yep. Appel. That's what I thought it was. So, a lot of people linking Carlos Correa as a free agent signing with the Orioles. Um, I don't know that they're going to be ready to spend that kind of money in 2021. And look, for me, it's very, I guess, maybe I'm overvaluing, which is what we tend to do with our hometown teams. We tend to overvalue the talent that's in the organization. But I'm really excited about Gunnar Henderson and Jordan Westberg. And if you're going to sign Carlos Correa... You're looking at about what George Springer got. You're looking at a six-year deal that's going to be worth about twenty-five to thirty million dollars a year. And then what do you what do you do what do you do with Henderson and with Westberg, especially if they become those top prospects? It's, everybody seems to think that they're going to be big-time major league players. You know, I I, I look at Gunnar Henderson and I see Corey Seager. I look at Jordan Westberg and I see Trevor Story. You're not as high on Westberg as I am, but I see Trevor right. Story. Uh, for me. Yeah, if you can get Carlos Gray for three years, excellent. If you can get him for six years, but he's willing to be traded after three, excellent. Otherwise, I don't want him. I don't want him. I think this is the problem with this whole situation for the Orioles. They have really no short-term plan, and they have the long-term plan with you know I one of either Westberg or uh, Gunnar Henderson. You could sign you know Carlos Correa next year, and he could play for you for a few years, but. The Orioles don't know when they're going to be in contention next. If you go out and you do sign Carlos Correa to a massive six-year deal, you don't know he's going to be able to help you win in 22 or 23 because nothing's guaranteed ever about when the Orioles are going to get better. We don't know that exact date. Michael Elias doesn't know that exact date. So 
you know, it, it's a risk, but I do think in getting a guy like Carlos Correa, you're going to get a guy who's more proven than Gunnar Henderson or Jordan Westberg. But well, yeah. there's always going to be the potential of them being better players in the long run. You just don't know. Well, yeah, that, that's that's the case. You're, yeah. like, like I said, I, might, I may be overvaluing the talent, and there's no guarantee that Henderson or Westberg are going to get to the major league. They'll, they'll get to the majors. Those yeah. guys are going to get to the majors, but there's no guarantee that those guys are going to be impact players. You think they are. Their makeup looks great, especially Gunnar Henderson. They look like like they're going to be big league players, but you never know. So you're right in that aspect. But here's the thing. If the Orioles sign Carlos Correa next year, they're contending. And it's not because Carlos Correa makes them a contender. It's because a signing like that says to the for the world to see in big neon lights, we are contending. We plan to contend this year. You don't sign Carlos Correa if you don't plan to win. And he doesn't sign here if you don't tell him, hey, we're planning to win this year. And, and I, I get it because Rutschman's going to be here next year. Gunner, uh, not Gunner, um, D.L. Hall and Grayson Rodriguez are going to be knocking on the door next year. So you you do want to have talent around them because those guys are coming up to win. They're not coming up to get their feet wet. They're coming up to be the future of your organization. When they get here, that's when the Orioles say, say hey, we're in contention. And that's where signing of Correa makes sense. So, yeah, that, that says we're contending. I mean, there's an argument for and against. I, I think that's the clear thing. There is really an argument for either way. I would be personally very pleased to see Carlos Correa come to Baltimore. I think, like you said, it's a sign. Let's go do this. We're ready. But then again, if the Orioles don't win and you have Correa getting paid $30 million a year and you don't do very well in 2022, then, you know, it looks like a mistake. Well, yeah, so, and and—, and I'm not going to sit here. If the Orioles sign Carlos Correa at this time next year, I'm not going to sit here. Man, I don't want Carlos Correa. No, man, I'm going to be. I'm going to be fired up. I'm going to be psyched. He's he's one of the best players in baseball. Of right. course, at one of the best, one of the most premium positions. Of course, I'm going to be excited. You know, but I'm I'm thinking right now as it stands, looking at what the Orioles have, projecting out three to five years from now. Carlos Correa is going to be in his mid-30s at that point. Is that a guy that you really want to have in the middle of your lineup when blocking a Gunnar Henderson or a Jordan Westberg? And that's where where I stand with that. I'm assuming, and I personally, I think Gunnar is going to move quickly. I think we're going to see Gunnar by 2023. And Westberg, too, because Westberg is a pretty polished college prospect. He's yeah. you know, already pretty decent with the bat, already pretty decent with the glove. So he'll move quickly, and, too. And yeah, and, and yeah, like you said, established college players move through systems quickly. So I expect to see those guys by 2023. So we have run super long today, guys. We're 20 minutes into the show. So that's going to do it for us here on the Bat Around. Tune in next week, same time, same cha- same bat time, same bat channel. Um, we'll get some great guests for you. Always we're going to have Stan the Fan Charles on our program uh, next week at 1020. Stay tuned for, you know, who else we got. Until then, uh, thanks for tuning in. Stay safe, wear your masks, be healthy, be safe. See ya.